What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us September 25th, 26th, and 27th for a three-day special streaming event. Strange Realities. To push the limits of your reality. Featuring authors, academics, researchers, occultists, experiencers, podcasters, and practitioners. All presenting fresh cutting-edge material and research. Streaming live. Featuring presentations by Brent Reigns. Editor of Alternate Perceptions Magazine. Aaron Gullius. Host of the Saucer Life Podcast. David Metcalf. Writer and researcher. Alan Greenfield. Author of Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. Stephanie Quick. Writer and blogger. Red Pill Junkie. 14 researcher and explorer. Tim Banal. Host of Banal of America. Guy Malone. Iconoclast and troublemaker. Timothy Ritter. Host of Strange Familiars. Kiki Dombrowski. Author and Greg Bishop, author of Project Beta. Jenny Ashford, host of 13 O'Clock. Recluse, host of The Farm. Jack Montgomery, Folk Magic. Joshua Cutchin, author of Thieves in the Night. Reverend Michael Carter, Alien Contact Experiencer. Dr. Future, host of Future Court. Tony Kale, author of Memphis Hoodoo. Rin Collier, occultist. Soraya Ascap, host of Where Did the Road Go? John Tinney, Ghost Stalkers in Hell. All three days, only $20. Tickets and info available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Brought to you by the Conspiranormal Podcast. Conspiranormal.com. Strange realities. Okay, we're live. And welcome, guys, to uh, yet another edition of the Strange Realities Conference preview episodes. We've got... uh, we're on the uh, Conspiratorial Show uh, Facebook, and we're on YouTube. So, yeah, we are we are here with uh, Reverend Michael J. S. Carter. Reverend Carter, how you doing? How you doing to, today? Good to see y'all. I'm glad people are staying healthy. Yes, sir. How to stay yeah. healthy? Yes, yes, and that's kind of. Healthy. I mean, if you can, you got it. Keep that immune system high. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's what that's what, that's what we're trying to do with this conference is keep everybody healthy and not everybody beaten in the same place like we like yeah. we used to. Yeah. So, um, so Reverend Carter, we're happy yes, to sir. have you. 
at uh, the Strange Realities Conference. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, it's been a it's really great to have you to have you with us. Um, you know, you uh were on Conspiracy World a long, long time ago. Yep. It feels like ancient times now. I remember. <laughs> Back in the that, day, as the young folks say. That was like that was like um that was like 2014, I think, or maybe 2015 might have been the last time I had you on. And yeah. I was kind of hoping that we would have you on with Guy Malone because uh, you guys have got uh, a couple of interesting kind of contrasting different kind of subjects for this um, for this conference. Because yeah. you're going to yeah. be talking about UFOs in the Bible and Guy is going to be talking about uh, aliens or demons and here's why. That's the title of his conference so we're going to or his presentation so we're going to be talking to him a little bit later on but uh reverend carter i kind of want to get the gist of what you're going to be talking about at the strange realities conference coming up here at the end at, at the last weekend of this month yeah the last week well you know i'm going to be talking about and I, you know when i first started talking about ufos in the bible you know very few people were talking about it at all even more conservative brothers and sisters. Now, that's that had been my experience. And then as time evolves and as people do, and then more conservative brothers and sisters were talking about, um, uh, you know, ETs or off-world intelligences, but they did say that they were demons. For me, it was a double-edged sword because it was, they, at least people were now talking about it, yeah. right? It's, it's one thing to say, they don't exist at all, and that it's it's a desert and a sea between saying they do exist. I I will say this: I do not personally believe that every extraterrestrial that people say they visit or whatever are angels. In the sense mm-hmm. of that we all that they that everybody means you well, right? Just like there are different people who are more benevolent and malevolent, I would agree with that. I'm not like Brother Stephen Greer, who, for instance, will say that they're all sweetness and light. I can say that the ones that I have had um, interaction with, and I wouldn't even—I can't say they've all been sweetness and light because I don't know. I just know what happened with me. Do you see what I'm saying? I think that there's life in the universe, abundant life. But I can't say that all of them want to be my best friend. Right. I can't sure. say that. All. I, I wouldn't say that about a, a, another human being. Mm-hmm. But I do think that we need to be talking about this, which we are. Now the government is, you know, they're not coming out and saying that off-world intelligences exist, but they are coming around to like we've been tracking them. We, we don't know. I, I believe they do more than they're letting on. But I think now the conversation is open. 20 years ago, I couldn't talk about this without my church saying, you need to find another job. <laughs> yeah, so we've and that, come a long way. Right? That, that kind of brings, brings me to an interesting point. I could have should have set this up though, a little bit. Like, So you kind of have an interesting background with all this because you are an alien contact experiencer, which is a term that I much more... Uh, I much more go by than like alien abduction. I think that alien yeah. contact is much more appropriate. I think it's a more appropriate term. Uh, but you are also a reverend, as yeah. we described, but yeah. uh, you're a Unitarian Universalist minister. 
Yep. So, yeah, I grew, and I grew up in the Baptist tradition. Yes, yes, you yeah. did. Yeah, I, I grew up in the Baptist tradition. Yeah, yeah, and 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 see, I thought I was crazy. You know, I had to go to a mental health professional when these things were happening because I had no reference for them, uh, uh, Brother Serfio and, and and Adam, because I did not believe in them. I was raised in the Baptist tradition, man. And I and I and I I, I, I when I say drink the Kool-Aid, I don't mean um, and I don't want to use that in a negative sense, because there's still something about that tradition that I, I cling to. Because mm -hmm. you never forget the bridge that brought you over. Sure. You know, you never. And so even though maybe never is not the best word, but um I didn't believe it, but it served me well because some of the things that had happened, I didn't want people to say, oh, come on, man, you saw that. You saw that on TV or you, <laughs> you saw a movie. I did not believe in it. And I remember when I was going up in Baltimore, I forget the context, but someone asked me, you don't believe in you? They were shocked. And I was a kid. And I said, no. And they said, why? And I said, no, the Bible is not in the Bible. You see, I, I try to keep my feet on the ground and in the sky in the sense of staying grounded. I, you know, people talk about the fifth dimension, the third dimension, and I don't know what really that means. I do know that there are other beings that I've come in contact with, but I'm here on the earth and like what Brother Serfiel and I were talking about. How do we help our fellow human beings? We were talking about people being out of work and that kind of thing, you know, and, and you, you got to keep Henry David Thoreau said it's OK to build sandcastles in the sky, but you have to put a foundation under them. And so I, I talk about this stuff and it has happened and it probably will continue to happen. And at the same time, when we hang up, I got to go get some groceries. I got to pay my, my rent needs to be paid. You know, you kind of walk in and you got to integrate both these worlds. That's how I come at it. I can say I've seen these beings and we'll talk about that. But, well, but's not a good word. And I still got to get up in the morning and brush my teeth and pay my rent. And, and now everybody's seeing them. And so what, what becomes more important to me is, yes, I've seen star people. Yes. Um, but I still have, I, I'm still trying to figure out how do I get along with my fellow human beings? How do I deal with my fear? How do I deal with race issues? How do I deal with money issues? How do I raise my child? You know, this is real life we're talking here. Yes. So you got to mm -hmm. be able to integrate it. How do I love my freaking neighbor? Uh, and this is, I think, what they want, too. You know, we can't even get along with one another. So how are we going to do, what are we going to do when we meet these people face-to-face -face as a group? We'll probably shoot first and ask questions later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we got racial stuff. We got the climate change. Uh, 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 Brother Serfio and I were talking about, you know, we're the media is keeping us distant from each other. You can't blame everything on them. We make choices. So even though I've had these experiences, I'm, I want to know how to love. I, I, I want to know how to keep my heart open. And I think that when I talk about this stuff in the context of UFOs, if you remember in Nashville, 
I got a standing ovation. I've never gotten a standing ovation. And, they, and that's not why I do it. But you know why people loved it? Because I started, I talked about the Bible and UFOs, but then I started talking about how we grow spiritually and how we got to come together, man, because whether they're UFOs or not, we're going to kill each other. And that's what people I feel are struggling with. I love that you've seen UFOs, and this is great information, but I need some wisdom too. How do I get along with the person who doesn't like me because of the way I look or because I'm a conservative and you're not? And how I'm That's where the rubber hits the road. And I think with the UFO, at least from my con context, a lot of the beings, they want us to be able to learn how to do that. How do I get along with my brothers and sisters? I'm not saying they all want that. I'm yeah. just saying that that's what I got when people don't agree with me. Brother Malone, we can agree to disagree, mm -hmm. but I don't have to shake my fist and go, well, you just don't get it. Or you're, you're in a red state and I'm in a green state and you, you're a mess and I'm not. And you, nobody <laughs> wants to hear that. Yeah. Nobody wants that to hear was, that. I think that was like from the early days of Conspiracy Normal. That was probably one of my favorite episodes when I had both of you guys on and to kind of compare notes about your experiences and how yeah. each one of you uh, felt differently about it, but yet you guys kind of had a similar kind of root and a similar kind of belief system going into all of it. And that was probably like uh, probably one of my most favorite, most, most favorite episodes. But you are right. I mean, like, you know, we're. We're, we got to deal with all these practical things yeah. day in and day out. Day and day we've day got, out. especially right now, we've got so much turmoil going on in the world. And it's almost just like we, we have to have, we have to have some, we have to have some kind of balance and we may be we dealing with to. like good. We may be dealing with good and bad forces on another realm as well. So. Well, yeah, because there that. are negative, negative forces. I'm not, I'm not, not yeah, I'm not uh, yeah. Mary Poppins here. Right. Um, it's just who do, when I was in New York and, you know, remember Bud when Bud Hopkins was alive mm -hmm. and Bud right. and I got along famously. He regressed me at one point. He was very good, too. Did you um, uh, did you know Peter Robbins? Uh, I, I, uh, uh, we've never met. I've read his book. We we we, we text each other on Facebook. Yeah, he he was uh, he was big in with uh, with uh, Bud Hopkins. He was pretty yeah. much like his research assistant for a very yeah. long time. And, and and Bud and Bud and I disagreed. Bud thought that they, you know, they were all bad and, and the way I interpreted it. And and I said, no, that hasn't been my experience. And we still got along. Uh, it wasn't, you know, we, you know, we're human beings. And the thing is, is that everybody sees things the way they are. You know, we don't see things as they are. That We see things the way we are. I know people who have had terrible, frightening traumatic experiences with these brothers and sisters who come from wherever they come from. I know people who have. And I listen to that and I empathize with that. But, and I can also say, but that hasn't been my experience. Mm -hmm. And we do that as human beings. If somebody goes out here and calls me the N word, I can get angry with them, which I don't even get angry anymore. And I'm just using this. But that doesn't mean everybody that looks like this, like this person is out to get me. That's just not real. But if we can't do that even with ourselves, mm -hmm. how are we going to do it with people who come from other places? Yeah. 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 It's kind of like a, a metaphor for human interactions. Yeah. 
and 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 we do that and and whether it's race or whatever someone is a, a, a trump supporter and i'm not and and so now you're my enemy we just see the world a little differently that doesn't mean i can't still treat you with dignity and respect but if i can't treat you with dignity and respect what am i going to do with someone who has five eyes or two heads or looks like an alligator or looks like you know they got an egg for a head i'm going to kill them <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Can you imagine the shock of that whenever that 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 actually does happen? Oh, oh, right. It, it'll get your attention. I tell you that. Yeah. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Well, so let's talk about that, Reverend Carter, because I mean, yeah. it's been so long since we've had you on the show. We've I got know, a lot of people. It's been about five years. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of people that haven't heard that story now, yeah. and let's just kind of like just go over well, like what happened to you. What was your experience? Okay. This was the one of many. But remember now, I'm not, I'm, I don't believe in UFOs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm trying to do what Jesus wants me to do and all that kind of stuff. And I went to um, December 28, 1989. I went with my girlfriend at the time, who later became my first wife. We went to um, Mexico, Cancun. And, you know, they had bus tours to Chichen Itza to no, see the pyramids, mm -hmm. see the Mayan pyramids, which is something to see. I haven't seen the Egyptian ones. But... And so uh, hanging out, had a great time. We were there for 10 days, you know, in Mexico. We were just, that was a day trip. And it was hot and it was beautiful. My friends were freezing in New York. So we go back home. We always wanted to go home between Christmas and New Year's. And so... Um, some friends of mine had invited me to a party in Hell's Kitchen down near Times Square. And I was tired, but I wanted to go. I wanted to show off my tan and I was real dark from the sun. And, um, you know, I, and they were freezing. That was part, that's, you know, I wanted to gloat. I wanted to gloat. And uh, so we went. I went. She didn't want to go. And uh, no, no adult beverages were there. Um, I had some deviled eggs, which I love, and I stayed there for about an hour and a half. I caught the subway back home, and in the middle of the night, I don't know where, I, I, to this day, I don't remember where I had to go to the bathroom or whatever, but I felt a presence in the room. I sleep on my stomach. I turned over. There was a being at the foot of the bed, and that, remember, during this whole time, either my girlfriend either could not or she just didn't wake up. The room is lit up like I'm in Times Square. I'm on the 15th floor of the Excelsior Hotel. So this is in a major, it's in, it's in Manhattan. There's a being at the edge of my bed about three, four feet tall. My, he's got this blue light around him, like a cobalt blue. And around that, it's the brightness. A jumpsuit with a turtleneck like, like, like a jumpsuit, real spindly looking man. I'm assuming it was a man. And the suit looked like Reynolds wrap. That's how it looked. It would look like Reynolds wrap that I have in there in my kitchen. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I thought my heart was going to come out of my chest. I pulled the covers up over me. I got in the fetal position. And I've had a gun pulled on me twice, but I was never as scared as that. I pulled the covers up. I heard this whoosh, whoosh, like, like a wind and the temperature dropped. 
like I was outside. It felt like I was outside. I pulled the covers down. Nobody was there. Quiet. I woke up my girlfriend and I told her what went on. I was scared to that. Also, I was hyped, so I couldn't go back to sleep. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. I was hyped. Yeah. And this started happening twice a month, full and new moons. They would come. They wouldn't say anything. They would show me pictures in my head. They would paralyze me. After a few of these, I started trying to read up. I went to uh, the Strand, not the Strand, um, the bookstore of the Open Center on Spring Street. I felt like I was a little boy buying condoms. I wouldn't even look the cat here in the face. I had a hmm. stack of books. Hmm. And I wouldn't even look at them. And he said to me, you don't look too good. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and he was bald with dreadlocks. The only dreadlocks he had were on the side. He was a very interesting looking man. And um, he said, is this a hobby or is this for real? And I said, it's for real. And he said, you don't look too good. And he wrote down a number. He said, call that number. You'll be with some people who can help you. And that's how I got in my support group. I bought every book I could find on it. I picked up a book called Encounters by Dr. Edith Fiore. I still have over there on my bookshelf. In the back of the book, it had therapists that you could go to if you had these experiences. I can laugh now, then I couldn't. I couldn't sleep. I wouldn't turn the light out. And they would always come when my girlfriend wasn't there because she worked at night, every new and full moon. Not the exact day, but for about eight months. That's interesting. But she regressed me, Dr. Jean Mundy, whose face, whose picture is on one of my slides, and she let me know that I was not crazy. She said, it's good news is you're not crazy. You can figure out if it's good or bad the other way, but you have been visited. And then years later, Bud regressed me. Um, and that was the beginning of my journey. Since then, I have seen reptilians. I have seen blue people with someone told me they were for Arcturus. I had a healing from um, a blonde, blue-eyed brother, big muscular brother. Uh, Preston Dennett put me in his book, UFO Healings, part two. He put my story in there. And, uh, I, and, I, and when I came back from seeing you in uh, – Nashville, I met a woman there who was a big fan, and she put me in touch with people for speaking engagements and what have you. But to make a long story short, she had a friend that was a lawyer and who was also a psychic. And I said, that's an interesting, I've never met a lawyer. Usually that's left brain, right brain. And she said, and she, she said listen, I don't know you. So-and-so uh, -so speaks highly of you. And she, I told, you know, she, she said, I heard your story from my friend. She said, have you ever seen a praying mantis before being? I said, no. She said, this is going to sound weird, but I see a praying mantis being around you and you're going to see him. And what do you say to that? What, what am I? And I said, okay. Uh, okay. Two nights after that. 
a praying mantis being came in my room and jumped on my bed there, this far from my face. I had never seen that species before. I had a friend of mine make me a statue of, if you want, I can run and go get it to you. It's right there, of the of the being that, that yep. came in my room. Sure, let's give them some. Okay. Yeah, hold yeah. On, little, little visual aid here. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Excellent, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really fascinating story. These are some great, great experiences. I always love to hear these type of, these type of experiences. Now, now I got to tell you, it, it, it doesn't take my faith away in God. This is the blue person that I saw with a big head. Okay. Here's, here's, the, here's the person who came two days later. The praying mantis, yeah, yeah. the mantid, yeah, the classic yeah. mantid. You know what's yeah. interesting about that, Reverend Carter? And uh, I've and actually, the, I've actually got a question for you from the YouTube the audience. Yeah, here's the. I, get, I can't see that he's one. Blonde hair. See him? He's a handsome okay. guy. Blonde. So, yeah, so he's a Nordic. Nordic. Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like yeah, yeah, like he's Swedish. Or, yeah, one of those people. So, yeah. um, a question for you, like, like you know, the the mantis is another figure that, uh, and the reptilians too. People will see those in the ayahuasca or like DMT experiences, but more likely in the ayahuasca mm-hmm. experiences too. Well, well, and I got to tell you again, you know, I, I can't say they were good or bad. I could say that the blonde person healed my blood clot. That's I can tell you that. But these people weren't good or bad. They were just there. Like even when I saw the reptilian walk through my wall, uh, and, and, you know, it's easy for them to say, like, the mouth doesn't move, don't be afraid. Well, that's easy for you to say, but, you know, what are you going to do with that? Don't be afraid. He touched me, but he never harmed me. Uh, uh, I don't know, you know, what can I say to that? They never, these, these little blonde people, well, they weren't little, um, they, they healed a blood clot that I had. So that's why I know these beings are real. Right. I, but I can't say I, I don't worship them. I don't say, well, all the blondes are the angels and all that. But I think in the Bible, I think that's this This is what our ancestors, they saw some of these beings. And they were trying to explain in their language what they were seeing. Got a question for you, actually, from the YouTube audience, Reverend Carter. Okay. Uh, they want to know if you could talk about the puncture, the puncture wound you experienced. A puncture wound. Yeah, that's what. That's what this, per- this person is asking. No, I had Maybe a blood can- clot. Okay, that might be it. Maybe they can clarify yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's that's where these people came. Yeah. Um. Okay. July 4th, 2013, 10 minutes to 9, 9.50 p.m. EST, Eastern Standard Time. There's a little backstory I'll tell you quickly. I don't like fireworks. Not that I don't like them, but here, when you go to the fireworks, you get there at 7 o'clock. They don't start till 9.30. You got to find parking. Mosquitoes are eating you up. People are sitting like you need a lubricant. They're so close. The the fireworks are over at 5 of 10. 
So it takes me two hours for a half hour show. I don't like, but meanwhile, I'm trying to be a good dad. My daughter and my ex-wife love them. July 13th, uh, 2013, look it up. It was a severe thunderstorm here in Asheville. So they canceled them. I was so happy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was a lot of thunder. And I had a lot of friends who fought in Vietnam. And they would tell me about their experiences. Some of them were special forces. Some of them were regular army. You know, what they went through. And so they would say, Michael, you would have to sleep through artillery, ingoing, incoming and outgoing. You'd be sleeping in a foxhole. There'd be mud there. You try to catch a couple hours sleep. I was like, oh my God. Um, and when the thunder was happening, I said to myself, I remember, this is what my buddies went through. Because I couldn't go to sleep. But I was laying on my stomach like a you know, like in 1989, I sleep on my stomach and I felt something in the room. And I got to tell you, when these folks visit me, the air gets real still. I can't explain it. It gets like heavy. You know what? I just can't. I don't know any other word. It gets really quiet and still. It's freaky. Like if they're birds, you probably wouldn't hear them. I turned around. My bedroom's right there. And there was a being with like a page boy haircut, blonde brother. Hair wasn't long as him, but blonde. Muscles, ripped. He had on a robe with a belt that was like a rope. And it's not a hoodie. What do you call him? Like the, the monks, a cowl. He had that on. He had that on. Big blue eyes. But you could see his muscles bulging through this robe. Maybe there's a gym on the ship. I don't know. I looked at this guy and he looked at me and he stuck his hand out and a green, a light green apple light came out and it hit me in my stomach. Now, here's the backstory. 2013, I'm getting divorced. My dad died. Sounds like a country Western song. And I was getting, I was going to get fired from my job because they were, I thought I was, I'd wound up keeping it for another year and a half, but this was all happening at once. And this being comes, this being comes. And so I had a blood clot that was from my ankle to my groin area on my right leg. I'm a real, I have real skinny legs. They look like ostrich legs to me. My right leg looked like LeBron James' leg. I wish my legs were that muscular, but I had a blood clot. I was taking Coumadin, and, um, which they call Wayfarin, and I was injecting myself in my stomach with something called Anexaparin. It's a blood thinner. This guy, well, it wasn't him, but blonde hair. I don't want to say they all look alike, but you get my drip. And when I got out of bed, well, after he left, he just dematerialized. His body, like Star Trek, the molecules, he was gone. I called Preston because I already had his book about UFO healings. My leg, the blood clot was gone. I called Preston. He's on the West Coast. So it's 10 of 7 there. He wasn't there. I look at my leg again. It's gone. I didn't have the wherewithal 
to take a picture. I was just buzzing and I was out. But when I saw my ex-wife and my daughter, they were like, oh my God, your leg is healed. I said, yeah, that's my proof. Well, I mean, they know I had these things before. They knew I wasn't making it up. My big thing was when I went to the doctor to tell them, to show them that my leg had healed, because I had to go back. You know, they stick this thing and they take your blood and they do all that with clots. And the doctor was not having it. The doctor was like, oh, come on, what happened? And I said, maybe the medicine's working. He said, you were just here 10 days ago. I just took your blood work. And finally, I said to the doctor, look, aren't you happy for me? Because they were not letting it go, Adam or Servio. They were not letting it go. And finally, they said, of course we are. Of course we are. But I wound up putting them on the defensive. I said, can we just say it's unexplained? I could not tell my doctor that a blonde-haired extraterrestrial hit me with a green light. And I could not say that. But that's yes, what yeah, he he probably would have he probably would have been like, oh, they might, have, they might have put you in another hospital. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They would have taken yeah. me to yeah. But that and then that that's so I didn't have a puncture wound. That's the wound that I was healed of that blood clot. That's that that was that was that was the hundred thousand uh, dollar thing there. Oh yeah, yeah. And I had never seen a blonde, blue-eyed person like that before. My friends in Europe who are contactees, experiencers, they say, we see them all the time here. I had never, up to that point, I had never seen that. And then when I meditated uh, the next day, um, when my, I closed my eyes, that being was there. He looked at me. I remember I closed my eyes and, and that face was there. And it was two of them. And they both blinked at the same time. And I blinked. And I remember opening my eyes and going, what? And closing my eyes. And they were there. And I just said, thank you. I said, I, I hope you can hear me. Thank you. Reverend Carter, do you find, do these things happen more to you when you're in kind of like a transition in your life? Do That's they, a great cause question. Because it kind of sounds like what you said. Like That's you were talking about, the, uh, talking about the July the, the July 4th time period and you were, you were going through a divorce. You were kind of yeah. looking at maybe your job wasn't going to be around much oh, longer. Yeah. A lot dad, of stuff. A lot, dad your dad had passed away. A lot of stuff Wait. that just kind of happened all at the same time. And then all of a sudden this, this, these There's experiences happen. Yeah. There's something to it. Look, because in December at that time, I was an actor in New York in 89. I was living a fast life. I was drinking and drugging and sexing and smoking. And they came. That was the first time. And, and they never said to me, what are you doing? <laughs> it was just the feeling afterwards was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? This is not what you signed up for. But, that, but it was up to me to make that transition. They never said, we got a lesson for you. It wasn't grandiose. You're the savior or you're going to be. It was after afterwards, it, it, it was like someone threw cold water in my face and said, you, what are you, you doing? A, you had an anti-structural lifestyle, as they call it. Yeah, I was crazy, man. I was an actor in New York. I thought I was going to be Denzel Washington. I wound up being a minister. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to be an actor. I mean, I was an actor. And so, and even with my dad. 
and and that's what helped me with the spiritual part because I started my heart felt more open. I started being able to say I love you more. I could say I was afraid. Um, I could say I was wrong. I just can't explain it. I got by on less sleep. Uh, I just cut my hair. I had long dreadlocks. I just cut them here, but my hair grew faster. My my you know my nails and stuff. It was definitely something different. And people would say to me, "You been out in the sun? Where you been?" But I just being in their energy. And then I started doing Reiki. You know, I started doing so. This whole spiritual life opened up, and what their presence did for me was. I had to get a grip and say, Michael, some weird things that happened. And I had some a painful incident happen that they did. And I, I, I had to say, don't do it anymore. And they stopped. But my point, and I, we can talk about that. But my point is, it made me say, Michael, where else in your life have you let fear rule? Because even though these people look different and they come up different walking through walls or stuff like that, they have never hurt you. If anything, you've become more human. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, because you had you had these experiences and then it set you onto this path to where you are now. Like you became you became more uh, spiritual and you became yeah. this, you started I mean, I studying working, to be a minister. Was, and yeah, I was working they, towards that. Don't get me wrong. It, they didn't they just gave you, the gave you the push. Yes. Give you the push. Yeah, it's sped it up. You know, it's it's interesting, uh, Reverend Carter, because you know, uh I, I met you over there at the Alien Expo over there in Knoxville last year. We we talked to you just briefly. And uh Serfiel and I had the pleasure to see uh Ray Hernandez's speech there yes. at the um at the conference. And um, you know, pretty amazing i mean the free study and everything that it has entailed and we've talked a little bit about this with brent rains as well uh and uh the doctor that he had on uh, with us i think robert he um they talked about they have talked about you know one of the things that ray compared was the near-death experience and mm-hmm. the alien contact experience and just how similar it was and just how much it had uh, really kind of had changed people's lives. People that have near death experiences, their lives are changed. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. They're less fearful of death and life gets rapidly improved. But, you know, you'll have the most hateful person become like the most loving person after something like that. So it sounds very similar. Your experience to others to others experiences with alien contact and near death which i think in some weird way are kind of one and the same there's a, there's a real spiritual aspect to these experiences it's a rebirth and and yeah. i wrote a chapter in that book for free uh, ufo's okay. beyond belief yeah i wrote a chapter on ufo's and this i wrote it was called the, the spirituality of the experiencer he had, Ray had asked me to write a chapter on that with someone else, and um, that's what we talked about. Now, I want to go back to the beginning when we started out. Everybody doesn't have that, and I don't know why. Some people say it's karma. Some people, I don't know why it is, but there are some people who have just the opposite, that it was so terrifying and traumatic. My life has changed, but it's changed a different way. Mm-hmm. 
Just we like, gotta be able to make room for those stories. Just like in the NDE, the near-death experiences, people also have panel-like experiences too. Yes. Yeah. And, but the thing is, is that with people that have those traumatic experiences, their lives become changed. That's right. That's right. So like the so like the end result is still the same, no matter if it's a if it's a beautiful experience or it's an absolutely just terrible experience. People come out of it changed. You somehow. come out of change. Yeah. And isn't that, you know, Sophia, more the expert on this, isn't that some of the same concepts in occultism? Well, I mean, it's just the initiatory framework. It's yeah. the, the trial. I mean, that's, you know, and it's a, it's psychedelic experiences uh, are similar too, as far as people can have bad trips, but learn a lot from those bad trips. Yeah. And it's, you know, but I think with the free study, I mean, it's, it really showed that the experience are, are, um, overwhelmingly positive uh, the majority are overwhelmingly positive mm-hmm. yes um yes but even just those like negative in, experiences keep something positive just like in near-death experiences the the positive experiences outweigh the negative yeah yeah it's, and it's the initiate and like you said it's like an, an initiation almost because mm-hmm. my life totally changed after that now i do do i enjoy a, be- a couple beers and a glass of wine sure but yeah. I, that wasn't my whole thing for living i'm chasing the carrot you know i'm going to get this movie. I'm going to do this show and I'm going to date this one and I'm going to go get drunk and I'm going to do cocaine. I'm just going to, no, it just, it was, it was just like, zoop. you know, it, you know, because you have, it was free will. I could have just rejected all that mm-hmm. and kept going on my way. But there was something in me that made me go deeper into myself. And I, I credit myself with that. Because I was on that path, really. I mean, I, I mean, I was reading and studying, but I was still partying and doing all that. But that was the the water, the cold water in my face, and it made me take myself and my life more seriously. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit, um, Reverend Carter, about your presentation. Kind of what you're going to be talking about. Just sure. Kind of like give a, a brief teaser. Yeah, well, I'm going to be showing some slides and about uh, some, from some biblical scenes and talking about from Old Testament and New. We can get into both and uh, in the time allotted and talk about uh, why I believe that if you put the word angel, if, if you put E.T. or off-world or whatever, in every place you see the word angel in the Bible, it makes more sense because angel just means messenger. Um, and, and so how these biblical, how our ancestors interacted with these beings and how some of these beings may be responsible, not intentionally for the biblical religion as we know it, for Judaism as we know it, and for Christianity as we know it. I will argue that Jesus of Nazareth was either a hybrid or had very close contact with these off-world intelligences. And for me, that does not change his ministry at all, but that there's a possibility that he was such an advanced soul that he was having these contacts as well. That that could be a little, well, I don't know in our crowd, but that would be a little controversial in some other crowds. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but and, and but I want to be clear. This is from what I'm saying. It doesn't mean they have to take it as gospel. 
Yeah. But that's what we're talking about. We can agree to disagree, but I'm just saying where the evidence leads me. And, you know, it's like anything else. If, if, if there's some truth there, it'll stick with them. I'm not here to convince. I'm just going to give you what I'm saying and you can go, oh, come on, man, that's crazy. And that's fine. We'll both sleep well at night. I'm not here to make you believe me. I'm just telling you what, what I think is a possibility. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I do appreciate you doing it. I don't know if you can see my shirt. Yes, humans are real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's a little bit, but also in talking about how we can, what we have to do to try to, we have to, we have to grow spiritually, whether it's ETs or not. It can be your just your religion or being in nature, but we're going to have to live out these principles. Otherwise, we're going to destroy ourselves, and that's the bottom line. For me, yes, it's like my friends who were in Vietnam. You know, uh, those that survived, they were talking about, well, how are you going to act when you get back to the world? How are you going to act? Which was me, which was really, how are you going to act after you've had this experience? You've just been in war, mm-hmm. and now you're going back to the world. Mm-hmm. How are you going to behave? Okay, well, now that I've had these experiences, how am I going to act now? What's the transformation, if any, when I get back in the world? Am I going to be more loving? Or am I going to at least try to be? You know, how am I going to act now? I've had these these, these experiences. What's that going to do? Because i got to go back to living life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very similar. Very yeah, similar. Yeah, i got to go back to living life. Well, so, Reverend Carter, will you – Everybody uh, that has uh, already bought their ticket or they're thinking about buying a ticket, uh, you are speaking at 12.15 to 1.15. That's Eastern Time on Saturday, the 26th. So So come up next Saturday. And we really appreciate you you being a part of this. And uh, please tell everybody where they can find you right now if they if people want to get okay. touch or they want to see what uh, see what you, yeah, you and can, talk you can, to your and your books as well you can go to amazon.com just type in reverend michael js carter my website is michael reverend michael js carter and you can also email me at uh michael js carter at gmail i will answer uh any queries i get back as to you as quickly as I can. I don't check my website that often. If you prefer to leave a message that way, I'll get to it. Um, and you can go to um, Amazon, and I have four books, uh, two on spirituality and two on extraterrestrial life, and UFOs Beyond Belief um, is the book that I've written the chapter for about UFO, about spirituality and the experiencer. I'm looking forward to it. I want you all to stay healthy. And no matter what happens, keep the love in your heart. This will end. Um, the virus will end, and we still gotta learn to love each other. So don't get discouraged. You gotta turn the TV off, turn the news off for a couple of days. But we'll be okay. But we gotta hang in there with each other. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. No truer words were spoken. Yeah. Gotta hang in there. Don't. Don't get. Don't let the fear make you crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Don't do it. 
All right, Reverend Carter, thank you so much for joining us. Stay with us just for a little bit. Uh, We will be back with Guy Malone at about 4 Eastern Standard Time. See you guys on the streams then. Hey, everybody. We are live on Facebook and on YouTube, Conspiracy Normal Podcast. And as you can see, Bigfoot down there is holding and uh, the, the record album Selling the Sizzle. Who's that by, we're Bigfoot? Doing. We're selling What's the that? sizzle of the Strange Realities 2020 streaming conference. Yes. Yes, we are. And we have... Mr. Guy Malone is with us. Hey, buddy. Guy, welcome back Thanks. to Conspira Normal. Welcome back, or good to be back again. You guys it's are good to have scary you. today. Yeah. And this thing is really hot. Well, that's even so. <laughs> <laughs> we were just going to talk a little bit about the Strange Realities Conference and what we got going on. And just a few like kind of housekeeping things about that. I think it's a good thing to do. Uh, so we're about like, as we're streaming this now on September 15th in about 10 days, just a big housekeeping thing for everybody. We are streaming this thing live on Facebook. Okay. So that means you're what some of you may be watching this on the strange on a strange realities secret facebook page which one is one person so that means that you already know what you're doing so congratulations so we want to just re-emphasize the point if you do not have facebook make a facebook a facebook account and get or, on there or use someone else's that you have in your household yeah just be sure you answer the two questions to get into this private Facebook account because private Facebook group, because those two questions are if you've bought a ticket and what name you bought the ticket under. Because sometimes you may want to just use another name on your Facebook account, already have another name on your Facebook account. Right. So that's vitally important. So anything you want to add to that, Sergio, what I was just talking about? Um, really, this is just the best way to do it at this point. We uh, want to find some other ways in the future. Uh, I know there are definitely uh, you know, reasons why it's not optimal to be depending on a private Facebook group. But as of right now, it is really the best way to do this. Um, YouTube has a lot less capabilities than it used to have for things like this. And uh, yeah. you know, we don't even know about a future for really doing this on Facebook as they are probably moving against uh, things like this as well as uh, music streams and you know things that were announced uh, real recently. Uh, but for this one, it's what we're going to do. And we're going to have the videos on there to see for as long as we can. If we do encounter any problems with them, we will find another way to host the videos to give everyone access to those after the conference. Um, that's going to be a big element of this because I know not everyone is going to be able to catch uh, the speakers they want to see in particular at those times. Uh, and then also, you know, you'll just have the freedom to go back and revisit things because there'll be a lot of cool um, information. Yeah. And also we're doing this uh, we're, when you guys see the uh, the schedule, which I'm going to post here fairly soon onto the website. That's all on Eastern time. 
So that's going to be obviously different for everybody since we've got everybody's schedule. We've pretty much got a lot of people all different parts of the country and all different parts of the world. So we just want to make sure that you guys are aware of that. Now, not everybody's comfortably be up at like three o'clock in the morning in England or somewhere somewhere like that. So you guys will be able to to see this. So looks like Guy is back. So Guy, we're uh, we're happy to have you at uh, the Strange Realities Conference coming up here. This is uh, your second year because you were actually with us here in Nashville in um, twenty nineteen. Yeah, it was a great time too. Yeah, thank you. Different topic, but it was a great time. Yeah, everyone can go back and watch that because we got that posted on uh, YouTube and everything now. It's a really cool presentation. I did want to recommend that actually. I'm glad you brought that up, sir, because I'm kind of the lectures. I do it sort of as a one-two punch um, because the topic I'm doing this year won't be um, as popularly received. I don't think. People will be very disinclined to believe the hypothesis. Oh, are aliens demons? Here's the evidences that a lot of people uh, ascrib- or attribute to the what's called the demonic hypothesis as opposed to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. So knowing when I'm going into it, knowing how unpopular an idea or even preposterous that could be to some people. For my first trick, <laughs> as you remember, I do the Roswell crash talk. And basically uh, put forth a ton of research showing people that um, this was most likely a man-made event. And if people listen to that research, and you were there, you know, I, I saw when you streamed it a while back, someone said Jennifer Campbell, it was their favorite presentation from last year's. Which was yeah, yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That was an honor, actually. I wouldn't expect that because I know even that's an unpopular view. But the point is, I can do the research and I prove myself, I think, to actually put forth a very unpopular view convincingly. So with that as my track record, I hope at least people that are um, returning from last year or who are watching it online this year will go, okay, well, we'll give this guy a chance with this one, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we were happy to stream all that. That gave everybody kind of a nice little preview. And uh, I actually got to re-watch that because I had seen that. I'd actually gone to see you uh, in Roswell uh, yeah. back in 2017 and got to help you out with your conference over there during the uh, 70th. Yeah, 70th anniversary of the... Uh, of the whatever crash at the Roswell, New Mexico for people that may have not heard that presentation. Can you kind of give like a little bit of a, like what the skinny is on that? Yeah, um, uh, it was 1947 was the Roswell incident where um, very believable, credible story that a craft of unknown origin crashed in the desert and was retrieved, brought back by the army air base uh, eventually to Roswell, New Mexico. It didn't happen in Roswell, New Mexico. But there was a cover-up, and people thought eventually that it might be from outer space, and they tried to squash that story for a while. And was uh, definitely know the name, Stanton Friedman, and other authors in the 70s started uh, pushing, really digging for the uh, extraterrestrial explanation of that Roswell crash, which has been the prevailing or you know most very popular view at least in Pulp Fiction and uh, in conspiranormal, conspiracy crowds. <laughs> and conspiranormal too, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you're ahead of your time with that one there. <laughs> Surprised nobody uh, coined that phrase decades ago. Good job, Adam. Thank you. Uh, but the, I guess the most popular belief is that the Roswell crash was alien in origin and the U.S. government covered it up. So we have this Roswell UFO festival every year where speakers and uh, enthusiasts come from all over the world either to hear serious lectures on the topic, most of them uh, putting forth the alien view, uh, showing their evidences or their you know reasons for believing it was alien. And you've seen as well, you have people dressing up who really don't care about what's the truth or what's reality. They just, you know, let's get drunk and put on some costumes and have a good time. Bring the kids out, buy some cotton candy. So you know, that's the, the festival atmosphere. So in the midst of that, um, based on research I was doing in the early 2000s, when I first put it up on 2002, I uh, put forth a uh, very well-received man-made or an alternative view showing that it was a man-made incident uh, that mostly involved the work of the aircraft was designed uh, based on German Nazi scientist uh, models and prototypes that they were building for Hitler in World War II. Nowadays, everybody's almost anyway heard of this Operation Paperclip, where we know people or we know our government moved German soldiers over here. But in the 40s and 1947, during the Roswell incident, that was not common knowledge. It was a uh, it was above top secret. It, uh, to some degree, it was happening against the direct orders of our president at the time. But all I do with that presentation uh, is I do side by side uh, photographs and uh, drawings of the Roswell incident, the witnesses, the stuff that's published in all the popular books. You know, here's what they say they saw, here's what they cleaned up, and then put it side by side with the German designs from the 1940s. And it's, for many people, it's a slam dunk. You know, the, the show's over right then, as soon as you see that what the witnesses from Roswell were drawing or were claiming that they worked with looks just like the German craft from the 1940s. It went over pretty well at your event. It usually, it usually kind of does. I see yeah, some chats. It was, uh, yeah, that's our little private chat. Yeah, this was, uh, this definitely was uh, quite. I think you got. I think you really had everybody kind of on the edge of their seats on that one. Yeah, this was. Uh, this was kind of a. Yeah, and I think what we're what you're going to do this time is kind of a sequel to that, but. I want to talk a little bit about just so like um, what's life like there in Roswell? Cause I mean, you, you've like, you came back to Nashville a little while. That's kind of where you and I became friends, but you know, like what's life like in like Roswell, New Mexico in like the center of alien UFO weirdness. That one weekend a year is when it's at the, the peak weirdness, but uh, as hard as it is for a lot of people to picture, not so much for you because you've literally been here, but it's kind of a quiet, small, big town, small city, big town, bordering on 50,000 population. We probably are over 50,000. You know, the census is coming up, but in the, uh, this will be, I, I've showed up here for the first time in 1999 after moving from Nashville mm -hmm. and the census then all the, all the, uh, the work was, yeah, Oh, everybody register for the census so we can break 50,000 and you know, that's great for federal funding. That's great for Olive Garden and big businesses that'll come to your town once you hit that magic number of 50. So it's been bordering on 50,000 since 1999, but it's not a huge city. 
It is very tourism driven. You know, let's leave COVID out of the equation for now anyway. Uh, there's more hotels per capital per capita than almost anywhere you can imagine you are. You know, in Nashville, you drive up and down, you see a Shoney's and a church on every other corner. Mm -hmm. uh, here, you drive down Main Street and West 2nd, and you see hotels do that frequently. So we get a lot of uh, tourism here, and a lot of it's business tourism. You know, the cattle industry is really big here, or really the dairy industry. You were joking earlier about the flies here. That hasn't changed. <laughs> and yeah, when Rob and I were there about three years ago, it was just like we were overcome by flies. Like there were just flies everywhere. And we were like, what's yeah. up with all the flies? And I asked you about it and you, you said, oh, it's the it's the cattle yards. And I was like, OK, well, that makes sense. I thought maybe Beelzebub had taken up camp in Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> I think that's what uh, I think that's what Dr. Heiser would have said. Right. Pretty much. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, Roswell is yeah. interesting because like just about everywhere you go has some kind of like weird UFO theme. Like there's the McDonald's with the UF with the flying saucer embedded in it, and there's yeah. uh, like the where Rob and I stayed, uh, the Motel Six. There was like this interesting Roswell, or uh, like this these alien like chainsaw art things. Yeah. And an uh, interesting thing that happened to me not too long ago, I was actually uh, at work and I was making a delivery, and uh, it was a couple of months ago, and I saw one of those in front of somebody's house like the green alien chainsaw art statue. And I was like, uh, I, and I asked him, I was like, I have seen one of those. I went to Roswell and saw him like, oh, my dad went to Roswell and brought that from, for me. We're from there. Oh, so, so, they're from there living in Nashville? Yeah. yeah, they're from there living in Nashville, just the reverse of you. Oh, uh, we should change phone numbers or something. <laughs> reverse of you, guy. Yeah. But uh, let's talk just a little bit. I want to just give everybody a teaser. Obviously, we're not going to talk about, like, the meat of it, but uh, kind of what are you going to be speaking about at our conference coming up uh, next weekend? I will go back. You said all those uh, – you see these alien images everywhere you go? these images everywhere and we're saturated with it and i'll be giving you just from photographs of walking around the town a little uh, preview of that i like to start out so people kind of know you know what's it like to live in roswell with that but uh to the point that it's uh actually some people love it because it's money some people hate it because it's just it's either they, they either think it's ridiculous or they might think it's demonic it's similar to what we were talking about, the cattle and the flies, actually, is that um, mm -hmm. by, for purpose of analogy, um, Roswell has like 60 dairies in the whole county. It's one of the main dairy capitals of the world. And uh, you'll find this interesting in your business is that there's literally the, the milk company here, Loprino, they literally process over one million gallons of milk per day for making cheese. But you and I can't go to the store and buy Loprino cheese off the shelf, you would not believe there's a ton of employment here because of the, the, cheese, the cheese plant and the dairy. So it's great for the economy. What's the downside? Well, in the summer, the flies are pretty bad, as you've seen. So sort of by uh, similarity, by analogy that I've never made before, so I'm doing this off the cuff, is this alien thing is also a good source of income for the town. It does bring tourism. It brings people taking their pictures, tourism dollars, taxation revenue for New Mexico. But uh, the downside is the, you might say, the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, 
my experiences myself, I lean into this uh, topic based on my personal experiences with so-called visitors. I really don't think they were aliens, but then uh, it, those that, that's an experiences uh, that were re- repeated in my childhood that I, for the most part, kept to myself. Didn't talk to it about a lot of people. Learn some painful lessons with friendship when you do bring that sort of stuff up when you're, you know, young and the world doesn't really know much. Actually, the pre-internet world didn't have access to conspiracy theories and stuff like we do now. But after the Heaven's Gate cult suicide that happened in the late 90s, as a point of reference, I started studying uh, their beliefs and that the the way they they claimed was that the leaders were the uh, reincarnation of Jesus and the Father, and that the way to heaven was to hop on this UFO that was passing by the Earth on the comet Hale-Bopp, which and then they even claimed that their beliefs co- kind of spun out of the Bible too, so that put me uh that kind of shocked me that thirty nine people would kill themselves based on a belief system that to my mind outlandish weird strange whatever it's america you're free to believe what you want to believe but the uh the idea that the way to heaven was to uh, board a ufo after killing yourself that's some crazy doctrinal belief if you're going to pin it to the bible so it put me on a big search of uh, actually exploring the belief systems of the ufo cults and the contactees and the experiencers you know adamski for instance you know, people whose work has been covered for decades that were prominent in the 50s and 70s. And I, uh, th- one of the three uh, ways I look at the topic of are aliens really demon- demons or, you know, demonic creatures pretending to be aliens. And you can, uh, you can lighten up the word a little bit because I know, you know, that's a very religious word. The idea that demons even exist is probably preposterous to a lot of people. But if you just uh, go with the semantics of, you know, um, paranormal, gin, genies, um, other dimensional entities, you know, shadow people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think people in this realm that would be uh, in your audience, you know, they, they'd be willing to, to hear it out. Like 500 years ago, for example, a, uh, a common analogy, even Whitley Strieber made this example, actually, now I think about it, but I quote it in my book from the 90s as well, is that 500 years ago, like in Europe, you had a similar experience to what we are calling the alien abduction phenomena is you had, but it was called elves and fairies. Then you had little wee people with big eyes and advanced magic. They would have believed then magic wands. They would abduct loners, take them from their homes. In those cases, they went out to the woods. They'd have lewd sex or dancing and weird things. And then the person would be returned to their home or their bed with, um, just wild stories of the night they had with the fairies. And my belief is that it's the exact same phenomena, just interpreted under a different guise nowadays. What we used to call elves and fairies, we are now calling aliens. So I'll give a little bit of a research into what some of the, uh, the main contactees and UFO cults that have been, uh, they claim to be in communication with aliens. I go through a lot of books on the PowerPoints and just give you direct quotes about what are aliens telling people? Uh, what are aliens leading people to believe in? And I also quote like Carl Sagan, uh, uh, Dr. Mack from Harvard, John Mack, MD, a lot of non-religious, non-Christian and non-spiritual. 
uh, scientists and researchers on what they believe aliens are telling people and how they are directing society and kind of compare it to a biblical worldview. And you, you, you eventually you get this very uh, interesting contrast. It's a stark hundred, it's a 180 degrees different from anything the Bible talks about. If it, where it speaks of spirituality, the aliens bring a very different message actually. And it's, it's actually, it's not just different. It's 180 degrees opposed, diametrically opposed, I'd say. But again, kind of like that Roswell talk, it's one thing for me to say, I believe the Roswell incident was man-made. But when the people give me an hour to lay out the evidence or the proof, they're like, huh, wow, he convinced me. You know, in many cases, you know, a large part of the audience. Uh, so I kind of try to repeat that trick with this. I take a premise that I think people are going to, at face value, consider preposterous and then lay down some evidences. Again, John Mack, Carl Sagan, The Bible, Whitley Strieber, other um, experiencers and abductees. And just to paint a picture of that, this is not a benevolent aliens here to help us kind of thing. I really believe it's demonic forces here to fool us. And uh, I lay out that evidence and let people go, hmm, maybe, maybe not. So being where you are, guy, kind of like in the center of you of UFO world, I guess, for lack of a better term. You know, doing this presentation and, um, you know, like you basically have started like a ministry there to that's kind of like the UFO themed kind of Christian ministry. Like how much resistance do you get? Uh, surprisingly little. But if you turn the question around and ask how much support do you get? Surprisingly mm-hmm. little. <laughs> Little of both. So it's kind of it's it's kind of like equal. It's kind of equal, huh? It's not really. Yeah, I, I really I think you. the one thing um, I guess I've got going is that I make a calm, non-hyper religious presentation. I usually don't come across unless I'm trying to sound like I'm crazy, which is that's fun from time to time. You know, paint myself up or you know all those other fun stuff I've done. Um, but one, I just present information and let people make up their own mind. And in most cases, I'm told I do a pretty good job presenting some information that is very convincing in a way that about a view that people did not think of the front they would believe. But um, on the money on, on the uh, the society side of it, it makes a lot of money here. This UFO alien thing makes a lot of money here. So to kind of combat it or come up with an idea that's saying this is really bad or this is really questionable, you're not going to get a lot of support because like I said, the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, the, the, the prevailing view in Roswell, even when I show you in my uh, presentation, the city logo with an alien on it, the official Twitter account, you know, it's like little benevolent deities here that have blessed Roswell and, Oh, we're known the world over. You can go to Tokyo and say the word Roswell you don't even have to say Roswell, New Mexico. People know what you're talking about. We've got brand recognition. It draws in tourism. It makes money. Therefore, it is good. So it's other than friends and a church here and there, it's hard to get any real support, even though I am presenting the gospel to people um, in the, the local, the, the, the whole package side of the deal. But when, if you ask about the UFO museum or the, the UFO industry, I think on both sides, they would rather just ignore me and not have to respond. I don't get a lot of flack. I don't get a lot of opposition 
because then I would have to be acknowledged. You know, you're not going to. And, and then when they look into my information, it's, oh, it's pretty darn convincing. So let's not pick a fight with this guy. You know, I do you think find, that's how it's out. Yeah. I want to know if you find that there's a lot more um, activity in Roswell because it's kind of set up as this like temple to the aliens, pretty much. Like, do you find in your ministry that there's a lot? Uh, does it seem like there's a lot more activity of people having these type of experiences than other places because it's almost like inviting it? Yeah, that's a great question. Like you're opening the door. You're. You know, it's definitely the mecca. I, for some reason, there may be many reasons. I don't think there's a ton more paranormal activity or people claiming alien experiences um, that live in Roswell that are, you know, that this is their home. I, I'd say on average, it's probably the same as in Nashville, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. And I know in some areas you can have heavy occult influences mm-hmm. here. Uh, other than what we've talked about, Roswell has like over a hundred churches as well. So it's a, in some ways a, a fairly conservative, well-grounded uh, Christian community in that sense to where the people that live here aren't for the most part um, jumping into the occult and opening themselves to certain experiences, which I think do overlap the alien abduction. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you remember a uh, sleep paralysis talk by um, Mike. <laughs> yeah, he has, Mike a, he has yeah. a stage name, he has a stage name that I can't remember right now, but um, Oh, Oh, but, uh, Tom bionic. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. To, 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 to the six million dollar yes yeah but a uh, surf the uh it's the people that come here when i had a shop downtown uh years back across from the ufo museum um people would come here with their stories and many of them that were already deeply into this stuff they they'd tell me that you know they'd be two three hours outside of roswell and they'd they'd see a light in the sky uh, i do hear in answer to your question it's yes, there is a, a, a fair amount of activity, but you hear about it from the tourists who came here already predisposed to be yeah, involved. Like this. a pilgrimage kind of. Yeah, it's a, definitely a Mecca. That's a good word for it. I've, I've used that analogy in the past that if you're an experiencer or an abductee, or if you just have a really, really strong intellectual curiosity, or if it's just for fun and giggles, Roswell is a mecca that draws people that are curious about that because they think they're going to get some sort of life-changing truth or life-changing experience here. At least in the back of their mind, they're hoping for that, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's been a uh, it's sometimes when you meet a guy that comes and tells you the exact opposite of what you were hoping to hear, that can be a, you know, let you down experience. Yeah. But I've also had a lot of people actually just thank you, you know, for presenting this to me in a way that I've never heard before. So it's, it's a little bit of both, actually. I don't do it full-time downtown anymore like I used to, but I do pass out um, these uh, calendars of events. Every hotel in Roswell, rather than doing conferences and rather than having a storefront where people come in and I talk to them, you know, I did that in the years past. But um, now I have a little calendar of events. It's called the Roz Guide. Oh, is this one? It kind of is, yeah. I don't know if you can see this perfectly have things to do in Roswell mm-hmm. and I just list the concerts and the plays and you know little things going on the museums things to see and at the very bottom of it there's a QR code reader that actually takes 
tourists, anybody, you aim, you aim your phone at it and you'll get my YouTube talks. So you might say I've sort of automated the ministry. <laughs> Mine is more a ministry of information and letting people make up their own mind. I just give you kind of just the facts, ma'am. So that's actually the, the, the bulk of what I do as far as a ministry is I have these uh, little cards in every hotel in Roswell for the people, the tourists that are coming here to learn the truth. They'll go to the UFO museum. They'll spend some money. They'll buy a t-shirt downtown, but quite often they leave with uh, two videos of me uh, discussing the topic online for them. And then I'll, then I'll get a little email or something from people that have seen it. In fact, uh, Adam knows uh, I'm not waiting tables full time now, but for most of the time in Roswell, I've been, I was a, a waiter at one of the popular restaurants and I was actually, uh, I've had people tell me like they, they checked into their hotel uh, at night and then they come out the next night or whatever like that. I've actually waited on people to where the guys, he looks at me and goes, wait a minute. I'm just watching a video with you on it. You're on YouTube, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, that's me. Actually, like, my, uh, actually, I think I, I told somebody about this not that long ago about um, there was a YouTube, one of the YouTube videos, somebody actually took that and made it and, and were like claiming that you were a reptilian. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> no, that, that's a pretty old one, unless it's a newer new one. But yeah, I know the one you mean. Uh, God, yeah, it's the same one. I don't <laughs> Yeah, was I in a green shirt? I think that was honestly from the 2007. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know uh, yeah. Doctor Doctor Future was at one of those conferences. I think, or was he at a couple of them? Yeah, uh, Christian Symposium on Aliens. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, we'll we'll be talking to, to we'll be talking to the doc later on tonight. So say hi. He did a great presentation on that. It was really uh since you mentioned that uh, to have three PhDs. Uh, gathered in one place presenting similar information to mine or to back up what I'm going to be offering your people. That was a pretty good feeling. It took a while. William Albert, PhD. Okay. Okay. Michael Heiser, uh, Dr. Future, but um, Mike Bennett, and actually by proxy, uh, Stephen Eulish. He, he wrote in, but he couldn't travel that year. But um, again, I, th I think the topic that I'm tasked with uh, presenting for you are aliens demons? Ooh, you know, evidence that makes you go, hmm. It, I think, it, honestly, I know it sounds preposterous at first. And I think large part is because people just don't believe demons exist, period. Um, so to, to make the case, it, actually, I'm glad you brought up because, and I remember historically speaking, like lifetime achievement wise, weird way to say it, to have three PhD, what I was saying is, very complimentary views that very intricately work together. That was a, made me feel like I was on the right track or that I think I always knew I was on the right track, but I think it let other people see that maybe this guy's on the right track. Well, we were just speaking just a few hours ago to Reverend Michael Carter, who I actually had you on the show with uh, quite yeah, a few man. years ago. And we talked about how uh, we kind of talked about you guys' experiences, kind of like how you guys kind of come from a common kind of background religiously, and then how like your experiences were similar, how they were different, what you got out of each experience. And he is actually going to be um, presenting on the same day you are, um, just a few hours before you, that about UFOs and the Bible. 
And so he's going to be talking about how like some of the, uh, you know, he, he, I guess he believes somewhat in like a physical existence of these, of these beings. Uh, I know that you're much more on the spiritual yeah. side as, a, as am I, uh, but there seems to be like his, his experiences seem very spiritual in nature. And for him, they were very positive experiences as well. Whereas yours kind of leaned much more towards the negative. Um, yeah, well, torment, torment, rape, you know, pain. Yeah. yeah. And then indoctrination. That would be a, a brief, yeah. succinct way of saying it, maybe. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't really I think, try I to describe it. Yeah, I think that's a good way. I think that's a good way to. I think that's a good way to put it. So, like, what's kind of your response to people that have these much more um, are when they're talking about these more positive experiences, do you think they're actually having, for the most part, positive experiences, or is there a kind of um, is there more going on here? Yes, yes, I think they could be having positive experiences, but also, yes, I think there's also more going on. And um, I think Joe Jordan's put it real well in the years past it's a good cop, bad cop scenario where you have the one that seems to have your best interests at heart helping you out and doing you favors and in some ways protecting you from the one who just wants to slam you in jail and make all these threats. So Mm -hmm. you kind of side with the good cop eventually give them what they want without ever realizing that the two are working together and on the same team the whole time. Um, The thing is, I remember when we talked with Dr. Carter, he and yeah, I it's got one of my wrong. favorite shows. I mean, it really Thanks. was one of my favorite shows from that time. Yeah, I should listen to it again, but I would do recall he and I got along great. Oh it yeah, wasn't oh a yeah. Debate. He presented his experiences and his views. I presented mine and my views. But what I find about this topic specifically, aliens, abduction, demonic, or whatever like that, is that I've seen not just. I don't know how Dr. Carter presents it. But I know like the History Channel had their UFOs in the Bible uh, series years ago, which you might even say was the the pilot episode or the precursor to the whole Ancient Aliens series. I think right. actually Dr. Heiser, Mike, he actually kind of he got this look in his eye like he complimented. He said, yeah, that is a good way to put it, that the show that both he and I were interviewed for actually on History Channel years ago, UFOs in the Bible. It turned out like that was the pilot or the kickstart to the whole ancient because but it presents the view that the um, fire by night, cloud by day that Moses and the Israelites followed was really a UFO that God was working through. Uh, these many alien, when I present it to you, many. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Aliens literally tell people in their experiences, positive or negative for that matter, um, that think much that you read in the Bible is really a UFO experience. And even something as some would say crazy as the idea that Mary was not really born of a virgin, but that she was artificially inseminated with alien DNA and that Jesus was a hybrid. And that's why he, yeah, that out. actually, that actually came up when we talked to Reverend Carter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which kind of disheartens me, makes me sad. Um, uh, but to me, it just, it eventually, the, the logic on that or the reasoning that people use uh, and the reason that is almost an easy sell for people is that you will make the claim that, well, people 2,000 years ago, they didn't understand genetics. They didn't understand DNA. So the idea of an artificial insemination would have been a little, you know, beyond their science, beyond their head. Um, so it was the primitive, stupid, superstitious people of thousands of years ago that just called UFOs and aliens gods and angels and devils. They didn't know what they were. They were pre-scientific. They were superstitious. It's like the Arthur C. Clarke that any uh, advanced technology is appears as magic to one generation or to one era. You know, if you take a lighter or this computer or a TV or something like that back a few hundred years in time, it's going to be indistinguishable from magic, like he says. But um, I think it calls it just calls people to make a choice. Is that I turn that argument around, and I I kind of like to say that the um, the scientific and the unspiritual and kind of the spiritually dead people of this generation, when we're confronted with a genuinely supernatural experience, we try to superimpose science to explain it away. Oh, no, that wasn't really a ghost or a poltergeist or an alien. It was swamp gas or a hallucination, or you must have eaten some bad mushrooms, you know, years ago back in the day. And it's, you know, you're, you're, you're tripping, you're flashbacking. Um, so, Uh, Just take the example I used. Either what the Bible says that Mary was a virgin and that there was a supernatural divine birth, uh, born of the Holy Spirit, and that is where Jesus came from. And he is God in the flesh, son of God. You know, I and the father are one. Either that's true the way the Bible states it. And you and I and everybody in the world is free to choose whether they believe that statement or not. Or you can turn it around and say aliens impregnated Mary. And Jesus was a hybrid child, and that's why he had superpowers. Everything. That's one example of many I could offer. Everything about this topic actually calls you to make a choice on what you believe and don't believe. And it's very central to what you believe about the Bible, God, Jesus, and even eternity. And spoiler, that's many of the quotes that I give in the uh, the talk that I'll be doing for you this weekend. I'm literally showing you out of the mouths of contactees and abductees and the books by uh, John Mack of Harvard, uh, Dr. Carla Turner, Ph.D. I'm giving you the 
exact direct quotes about what people either uh, under hypnosis or as they remember are saying, here's what the aliens told me. I'll give you like easy dozen quotes. And then you will, you will see, even if you're not a Christian, I think if you're an American in this day and age, you have enough quote Bible knowledge or cultural Christianity to realize, whoa, what these boogers are saying is really 180 degrees diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. So you're, it, I, I just, I, I keep coming back to it whenever I'm uh, this deep or getting pretty deep into the, uh, uh, this conversation is that you're going to be swayed by one view or another, and it is going to call you to make a choice in some cases, an eternal choice. And I really think that's the point of it is that the aliens are, um, calling people to make eternal choices that go against what the Bible teaches us about salvation in Jesus. And that's how you get a UFO cult suicide of 39 people because they believed a deceiving doctrine. That's what first Timothy says. You'll see that near the end of my lecture, um, deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. Aliens are giving these doctrines like Mary was impregnated by an alien or like, um, the, the, Israelites followed a UFO. That was the fire by night that um, Elijah jumped on a, ch a chariot of fire. That was a UFO that took him up into heaven. That when Jesus rose and ascended into heaven in front of the disciples, he was just really being beamed back up aboard the mothership. It, it's one reality or another, though. I mean, it, it's a black and white stark contrast. By the time I'm done, I don't think the viewer or listener will have much room for choosing a shade of gray. Yeah, I don't think you necessarily have to be a Christian to get the thing about that a lot of it that's going on with the ancient aliens crowd is trying to explain all these type of incidents as in a materialistic kind of viewpoint. I don't think you need to under to, to, to even be a Christian. It's like just like just accept that like this is mystical. This is mystical stuff that's happening. This is mystical literature. Uh, it's not in, in some ways it may not even be meant to be taken quite literally so like but but even even then it's like you know don't you kind of like i kind of lose patience with the kind of materialistic crowd because it's like they want to explain things all by this materialism which is really where ancient alien stuff comes in if you yeah. really think about it and just besides the fact of what you're saying about making a choice but it's like just just understanding mysticism and religion and all these ideas. And it's just trying to do the, the materialist thing just doesn't really wash too much with me when there's so much more going on. And and I think it's just trying to just like understand it from some kind of weird scientific viewpoint. And then it becomes its own. But then it becomes its own kind of religion which is the you know which is kind of the irony of it yeah there's a little bit of faith required on either end of it actually but um that materialistic right. that materialistic uh worldview that leads towards the ancient aliens belief just as a meme actually i saw it on a t-shirt once it had a pyramid and i liked it it said just because white people can't do it doesn't mean it was aliens <laughs> yeah 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 i've seen that i've seen that shirt but then i, I wanted to mention how even 
I mean, even the most die on the other side, people are still in the non-materialist paradigm, but even on the other side, the most die-hard occultist people who are into these ideas do acknowledge like the trickster element of whatever these yeah. things are. You're right. So, That's why I kind of alluded to gins, genies, stuff like yeah. that. I, I think that that uh, would be a more palatable term to a lot of people than saying uh, demons outright. And right. I'm just using, you know, the, a biblical word. You can uh, trickster is excellent. I, I do think that's a that's just an excellent way to say it. Because so then, least, like you said, it makes you really, uh, you know, you have to decide. Well, what what do you think about demons? Then, you know, you have to really, like you said, it forces that that choice. Then, do you think this is something you should interact with or not, or do you think this is well meaning or not? Good point, because even before I was a Christian, um, I, I became a Christian in my 20s. So to even I, so occasionally I still can't reflect on how preposterous I might sound occasionally, you know, whether I'm talking about uh, demons, aliens or just the gospel itself. I mean, when you get down to it, belief that a man rose from the dead, that's just the price of admission. That's the ticket to this Christianity thing. And uh, I, I'm sure there are a lot of Christians today, the studies show, that they, just like we're talking about um, the, the UFO cults, they are whitewashing and they are de-supernaturalizing the Bible themselves just because they have a scientific mindset. But in that trickster element, somehow years ago, when I was like 20, 21, college age, partying with my friends and all that stuff, my roommate uh, got a Ouija board that he wanted to bring into the house and play with. And I'm like, no, that's not coming in here. You know, I've, I've been to church five times in my life, maybe. I didn't have a strong feeling doctrinally, but I'm like, no, wait a minute. So basically you're inviting spirits to come into your home and communicate with you. And you're just supposed to believe that they're good and have your best interests at heart. You know, the, the I would not have used the term deceiver or trickster um, that early, uh, you know, 30 years ago almost. But yeah, that was my feeling about it, that there's a, a trickster element to the paranormal that you just, that can't be ignored and that many greater researchers than I have pointed it out. Even people at your conferences last year, Adam. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, this is going to be interesting. I think Saturday is going to be really, really interesting to have these two kind of, we're going to have two kind of contrasting uh, talks here because we've got yours and then we've before yours, we have uh, Reverend Carter's UFOs in the Bible. So this is going to be we're, we're definitely going to be giving people some a wide variety of viewpoints <laughs> at this conference. And I, I, I want think. that, actually. I don't I'm not into yes. censorship. And I'm, same here. Yeah, same here. My whole approach at the end of the day is here's the information I have. Make up your own mind. If I'm, yeah, if I'm convinced or not, or if you know, you are going to be speaking Eastern time at four ten to five ten, which is two ten to three ten for you. Right. So you're going to be speaking then, and you're going to be presenting on what's the full uh, text of it? The full uh, title? Are aliens are aliens demons? Evidences that make you go hmm. Cool. First time I've used that title for it before. I've, I've played around with different titles for almost the exact same presentation. Is that a is that a is that an homage to the CNC Music Factory? 
<laughs> yes. Yes. And that's an homage to you in, in a way, because like when I, when I first was trying to pass this view off as, uh, I think it was our aliens, demons, evidences for a spiritual point of view where I'm trying to sound smart and non-threatening. And sometimes it's, I've gone, uh, what is it? Not against flesh and blood. Our aliens, demons, and the, the, and then that's targeted to Christians as a buzzword. But you know, you're you've got a laid back approach, and your crowd is uh, from many walks of life, open minded, but not afraid to think either. Mm-hmm. Not afraid to test and, and hear out. So many people. I mean, just just the way Facebook and Google have got us all compartmentalized now, to where mm-hmm. we sort of live in echo chambers. The yep. work that you're doing, even putting Dr. Carter and I, you know, in the same weekend, much less the same day, um, you're letting people be exposed to things they probably have not heard before. But you also have the uh, ability, the, the gift to draw people from, from that diverse of backgrounds and let and, and they're willing to hear something out. They're willing to walk away educated or changed when so many other conferences out there, you know, they're just um, parroting the same thing. You're 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 going to a conference. You're hearing ten speakers who all believe what you believe before you came, who all know what you know because you've done the same research, and you're just affirming each other's point of view. I like the way you do things. People are gonna they're gonna hear things they've never heard before, and they're gonna walk away. Oh, that was interesting. I learned something that might or might not change my mind in this one area. I'm you know if I hear out Dr. Carter. Uh, we'll see if he changes my mind for that matter, but thanks. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for that guy. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be great to have both of you got both of you, um, on board with us. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting and we've, we really do have a wide array of, of presenters before we let you go, uh, tell everybody where they can find, uh, your ministry, your website, um, where they can get help with Bitcoin. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I've I've changed up. I like like you like you had mentioned. I moved away from here for five years, so I've sort of had to kind of re up or rethink what I'm doing. Um, so alienstranger.com is an old site that does have my 2010 videos on it on these very topics that we're doing, and you can also link through and read my book, Come Sail Away. That actually part of that book is my own personal experiences with visitors when I was young. I don't think they were aliens. You make up your own mind. But that book uh, or that story sort of helps you walk through not my theology, not my Bible knowledge, but my personal life path from youth to adulthood in coming to the conclusion that these experiences of mine were demonic. They they weren't aliens. They were demonic. So, But also alienstranger.com and or roswellmission.org. They both give uh, slightly more updated videos. Um, on the same topics with uh, some newer information. So that's two good places to start. Aliensstranger.com, roswellmission.org. I uh, kind of feel like I need to learn how to morph these into we, one side again. We, we just cloned Surfiel. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. That's a frozen image, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I don't know. There we go. Millions. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that guy. Sorry. No we interrupted your train of thought there. <laughs> My train of thought wrecked a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
But yeah, roswellmission.org, alienstranger.com. It's got all the goods. It's free. I do have a book. I have videos, but you can watch it all online and read and read the book online. And uh, yeah, as you said, if anybody later wants to hit me up, just my email on this topic or like you said, Bitcoin. I do have uh, in the last couple of years, last four years, I've really, uh, for some reason, soaked up a lot of Bitcoin knowledge as a passion and a uh, personal sovereignty freedom. Uh, it's it's a it's a way to have money and to spend money without being um, authorized or declined by your bank or your governments. And it works. But I do know more than a little bit about that, actually. So I can uh, give people links uh, to how to how to learn more on that, too. Well, yeah, thanks for even bringing that up. It is, yeah, yeah. As long as you've known me, that is a, my my newer, I won't say calling or passion, but similar to that. I put a lot of research into whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing. Don't think it's the mark of the beast. Yeah, yeah, probably not. All right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, and if you guys are interested and you're watching this or you're watching it live or you're watching it a little later on, Strange Realities Conference, you can see this. You can see the little ticker at the bottom, strangerealitiesconference.com. Guy and Reverend Carter are going to be part of that. On September 25th through the 27th, you can sign up. Again, we are streaming from a secret Facebook group, so you will need a Facebook account to get on. And uh, we will be back soon, later on tonight at 7.30 Eastern Time with Tony Kale and Jack Montgomery. And then later on with Dr. Future, Recluse, and Ren Collier. And David Metcalf will also be joining us for those as well. So, Come join us, and uh, we will be back soon. Thank you so much, Guy. Bye. Yeah, great group. How many speakers total you got that weekend? Uh, 20, 21. Wow. Good job. <laughs> it's going to be something, so come join us, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me back, brother. Thank you. Typical thing about how we're live yet again. Welcome back to the epic, very epic part three of the Strange Realities preview. I think this is part three of part three. Three of three. I'm sure that's a good magical number somewhere. And so uh, we're excited to have two gentlemen along with us. And someone that was along with us a couple of weeks ago, David Metcalf, is joining us on these just to kind of sit in as a co-host sort of and uh what's up david how's it going everybody going well going well uh so we've got um two gentlemen that are going to be speaking on saturday the uh 26th of september at the strange realities conference and that's tony kale hello and jack montgomery howdy and uh, I'm real excited to have you guys uh, come speak. Um, couple like last year, so how I met Jack, I was at the Aroma Gregory store. I'll give him a plug up there in Nashville. Great, and yeah, it's a great place. It is. Um, 
And I went there just to pass out flyers to try to get people interested in coming to the Strange Realities Conference uh, 2019. I don't think I got a single person, but I was able to find somebody that could would come speak at the twenty at the 2020 Strange Realities Conference, and that's Jack Montgomery. And I met you there, and probably bothered you a lot (laughs) at the at the conference and telling you telling you all about what i what i had going on and come to find out that you wrote this excellent book called american shamans that uh i cannot say enough good about and uh before that david here had when we were hanging out at paramania told me about uh tony kale and Tony is also kind of local. He's a Tennessean, local to our area. Jack is up there in Kentucky, not too far from Nashville. So we're all pretty localized here in the South because, David, you're in Georgia. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Tony turned out wrote this excellent book about Memphis Hoodoo and several others. Two, that, yeah, uh, excellent books. Two excellent yeah, books. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and we had Tony on and Jack on pretty close to each other uh, earlier this year. So, guys, welcome back to Conspiranormal. Welcome to the Strange Realities Preview. So, um, let's just kind of get into it. The way I want to do this, we'll just talk about kind of what you guys are going to talk about. Give kind of like a teaser because you guys are really doing one presentation that Mm -hmm. is going to be split into two parts. So, whoever wants to take it, we'll talk about this presentation a little bit. Well, Jack, if you uh, you want me to lead off there, and uh, I will I will hand off accordingly. As, That's fine. As we go. That's um, fine. Jack and I are going to share a bit about folk practitioners and the paranormal. Um, you know, here in 2020, everyone's familiar with the paranormal. Uh, we've all seen ghost chasers. We've all seen spirit mediums on TV and uh, and, and in real life. But you know. Centuries before, there were ghost chasers facing down apparitions. We had curanderos in Mexico interacting with these spiritual beings. And, you know, uh, years before, you would see a a spirit medium on a TV show using a Ouija board to speak to the dead. We had conjurers in the Mid-South who would frequently speak to the dead and and interact with the ancestors. And so what we want to do is sort of bring attention to uh, there are a number of customs and traditions that are typically uh, known as folk traditions uh, and and practitioners of folk magic who have actually dealt with these uh, paranormal phenomena over the years. Um, You know, when we talk about the paranormal, most of us, uh, think of ghosts and hauntings and um, angels and demons and things like this. Um, and we know that folk traditions around the world uh, have dealt with these entities and dealt with these types of incidents um, through the years, even to the point where um, some of them actually uh, encompass uh, worldviews about mysterious beings that we typically call cryptids. Uh, and uh, so we see a lot of those um, in the Mid-South. I know that uh, uh, Jack uh, has some information that we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the different, I guess, mysterious beings um, that are encountered among different uh, African, Latin, 
some of the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch traditions. Um, and uh, Jack, isn't it uh, some of the stuff uh, related to uh, you were sharing earlier today about the boo hag? Yes. The boo hag is an African tradition. I just discovered the other night that it moved from West Africa first to the Caribbean. And so we have the tradition of a, uh, an entity that literally is a, a form of vampire. And it, in West Africa, they literally suck the blood and they come in the night. Uh, by the time it gets through the Caribbean and to the coast of America, it's now sucking energy. It's now sucking the life from you. So that's a very interesting uh, tradition to look at, first of all, as a experience that people have. Uh, but it's also a tradition that uh, has ancient roots. And in fact, there are others. I've been opening up ideas and research. And all societies have this idea of a being that comes and steals your, your life from you in the night. And that's what a boohag is. Not a true, not a vampire in the sense of the Bella Lugosi and all of that, uh, but a vampire nonetheless. More associated in this case with witchcraft. I think there's one that uh, I think in like the, uh, the Singapore or somewhere around there. There's uh, this one that uh, like is a woman, but it like she unattaches herself from her body, and she's this big floating head with a spine, and she yep. like trailing behind her like it's really nasty and that's the, and like she she steals like children in the middle yeah. of the night yeah. that's a, i think it must be a similar tradition almost worldwide because that's exactly what the uh the boohag steps out of her skin and literally mm -hmm. is raw meat and bones moving around uh, mm -hmm. uh, now it's also been tied in a modern sense modern explanations for it uh, have, have targeted things like sleep paralysis and, and sleep apnea. Uh, but there's enough of the, of the uh, experiences, and I, I just was writing down one of my informant's reactions to one of these the other night uh, in the book uh, about the boo hag. And it was a, there were two, uh, two incidents. One was a one-time affair to a teenage boy. The second who had just laid down on a couch. The second was a three week uh, traumatic event to a 50 year old man who's had never recovered, who never recovered from it. He still feared the night he slept with his lights on, uh, but then it went away. So that really doesn't deal with it in the way that you do with a medical condition. Now, I don't doubt that there's some elements in some people that experience it as, as, that were sleep paralysis and sleep apnea. There is an element there. There's an element in, in most of these kind of supernatural things of that people can latch on to and say, hmm, this sounds like that. And they're probably partially right. But if you have have any of you ever been down in around Charleston, Beaufort in that area? Yeah, um, I've been to Charleston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The area has its own reality. It really does. It has its own atmosphere and its own reality. Uh, and you get back in those uh, swamps and, and marshes, and it's a whole nother world. <laughs> it's a whole nother world. Yeah, I learned that. I live in, uh, no, I live a little bit outside of Athens, 
Okay. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's rural enough to have that same kind of that same mm -hmm. kind of vibe where, you know, you're in Athens and it's, it's you know fairly citified, and then you get out to where I'm at and things change a little bit. So and it's you know part of my fascination with all of this is how you can have people living 20, 30 miles apart who see reality in a very different way. And how people view reality is how I got first interested in this while I was a student at University of South Carolina in the mid 1970s, um, which seems so long ago right now. <laughs> but, but Tony, I didn't mean to steal your, uh, no. No. you know, you no, have to, you, uh, you know, that, that parallels a lot of what we're talking about. It, when you say um, people just 20 or 30 miles out, um, when, when we talk about folk traditions and we talk about the, the, the use of the word folk, um, you know, traditionally that used to mean uh, peasants in Europe, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the, the poor folk. Um, in, in this scope, we're looking at more like people like you and I, just people. And some have even talked about folk religion as being uh, more of a practical approach to life than a philosophical approach. And when we deal with folk magic, seeing it being a lot more practical than philosophical. And uh, so there is sort of that contrast. But, it, you know, as Jack was saying, with those different interpretations, so what happens when you have someone who has encountered the Buhag or what happens when you have someone who's countered um, like in the Mississippi Delta, the concept of the plat eye and you know, what, what goes on then? Well, then many cases you seek out folk practitioners who have the tools, who have the materials and the, the knowledge of the tradition and how to counteract whatever has happened to you. Uh, if they need to, to create some sort of material, to give you for protection. Um, and so this is sort of uh, what Jack and I are looking at, at how have these folk traditions traditionally dealt with the supernatural or what we call it today, the paranormal. Mm -hmm. And um, it's fascinating to see because um, while there are many different elements, different materials that are being used, different names, for particular customs and rituals, when you look at it as a whole, you do see a lot of holdovers. Um, and, and you might see a cleansing in uh, Texas uh, being done by a curandera and a very similar but very different type of cleansing in Mississippi with a, a root worker. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can see some common elements there. And uh, I, I find that really fascinating about that. There, there actually is a universality to the things that are done tradition after tradition. They do the same, as Tony says, they do the same things. Uh, they, they interact with spirits. And for instance, uh, there are three levels of, of worker, of mm -hmm. practitioner. There's a simple granny who can take the burn off your finger. There's the person who can try to treat more complex diseases. And then you have the person who steps beyond that. And that's the person who engages the spirits. And they're in a different class. They also walk a very thin social line uh, because what they do can turn on them socially. One day they're the hero and the next day they're the scapegoat if something really bad happens in the community. 
Uh, there's a case of that uh, in Lexington, South Carolina, historically, uh, with a woman whose house I've actually been in. Uh, she was, uh, at one time, a very respected older lady who was a healer. Something went wrong. She became a scapegoat and ended up tortured. Uh, and this was in 1796. Uh, and in the transcript, which is a fascinating read, people were saying that, you know, she has bewitched these people and they rose up and clung to the ceiling. It's one of those one of those documents you keep reading and just going, wow, you know, this is awesome. Uh, but, you know, people, she was tortured for and um, left to, left on the road, essentially, to either get home or not get home. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting thing when you start to deal with the people, these practitioners, these community healers, these communities, uh, spiritual leaders, because they always walk this thin social line with the church and with um, the uh, just the people around them. They inspired both respect and fear. Uh, Lee Gandy was certainly one of the people that I learned from, and he, you uh, this, there was no neutral ground in what people thought of him. I actually think he kind of enjoyed it sometimes. <laughs> For, so that was a little earlier this year when we talked about uh, we talked about him and we had you on the show, Jack. For people that may, you know, people that are watching or people that's good, that are going to watch this uh, fairly soon. Uh, can you talk a little bit about him? Because I mean, he was like pretty much, I mean, you were kind of like, would you consider yourself an apprentice to him at, at, at that point in there time were, or had you? Yeah, this was 1974 when I first met him. Uh, and I was a student at USC. I was driving down to the low country, which was exhausting because I lived in Columbia. Uh, and I heard about this fellow. And somebody said, you know, when when you start opening the doors one way or the other, it comes through and the leads come in. And this fellow came up to me and said, do you read this article in Sandlapper? And I opened it up and I thought, oh, this guy's just like 15 miles away. So I called him and had an interview with him. And he was what's called a Hexenmeister, which followed the powwow tradition uh, mm -hmm. that you see among German Americans. Mm -hmm. But he was far more than that. He was a mystic. And when you were at his house, um, just about anything could happen. And it took so it took a lot of time for me as a little logical psychology major. You know, I had to to really essentially wrap my head around his world, his view of reality, because it it started to happen. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was purposefully opening that door. There was another student who uh, is a dear friend of mine who was a very gifted healer even at that time and, and remains so today. Uh, but Lee practiced uh, in his community. He was, uh, like I say, there was sort of a no neutral ground for him socially. Uh, he'd also come out as a gay man, and that you just did do in rural South Carolina. It just, that was not it. Uh, so he not only had that against him, uh, but he was also reputed to have had caused some negative uh, events, which even in one case led to the death of a young boy. Uh, no powwow is supposed to lose their temper. 
and he lost his temper one time. So it became the one thing, I, and I know Tony will reflect back on this too, is the way that some of this is approached now is from a very lighthearted, a very uh, commercial, very sort of uh, out there, let's have some fun with these ghosts. In traditional America, this was a deadly, serious business. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, your life, your well-being, everything depended on you being able to produce what you said you could do. Wouldn't you say that's true, Tony? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, word of mouth was definitely the the best um, thing to bring in business to, to, to healers. Um, and that word of mouth could change as well. You know, if you did a bad job, if, if you were corrupt, if, if you just stole money, that word could get around as well. And, and I'd like to, to, to echo what Jack said about a lot of things being taken lighthearted. I, I always get a cringe when I, I watch certain television shows and they'll go somewhere where there's definitely historically been a track of bad energy it reported from a number of different sources and then someone goes in and just starts screaming, you know, come at me or, you know, we make yourself known. And um, obviously a lot of that comes from people who've never encountered things um, because it's, and let me put it this way. You don't, you don't uh, demand that a rabid dog come running at you. If you've ever been bit by a rabid dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there, there is sort of this poppiness. One of the things, too, that we've seen is a lot of the, the folk practitioners, um, th- there's, there's a major controversy you'll find among a, a number of different magical religious traditions where some people say that, you know, you, because you didn't come from this specific line of healers, you're not valid or because you weren't taught by this specific person, you're not valid. When we look at the folk traditions, the the real bona fide traditions, these were practiced out of survival. Mm -hmm. These were practiced to maintain your family, your community. These weren't done for for pop magic. These weren't done for tricks. Right. And so um, there's, there's a very big difference in between um, those who, who might take pop elements from these different traditions and, and, and sort of roll their own um, versus someone who this has just been part of their life, their whole life. You know, Jack and I have talked many times about uh, when it relates to something like hoodoo or root work, the majority of people we've known throughout the years that are traditional practitioners don't call it hoodoo. This is, this, is, no. this is what I've done since I was a child. This is what my grandmother taught me to do in order to survive. Um, they, they don't necessarily place a name that Western culture is familiar with, mm-hmm. you know. So, and and, and there, to them, the supernatural, the supernatural, what we call paranormal, is intricately woven mm-hmm. into their lives on a daily basis. I came from a very staunch United Methodist, good folks, good, solid, down the line folks. However, 
there was this little element underneath it all. And I remember one time as a small child, I caught a glimpse of a, a relative who just passed and I ran to my mother and reported it. And she looked down at me and kind of scowled and said, why are you afraid? You know, she loved you in life. She's not going to hurt you now. You ought to go tell her you love her. And you know, at that at that point, it all kind of melted away. In in many Irish homes, if you don't have a spirit there, something's wrong in that house. And I know that's you you didn't you didn't treat this. You didn't have first of all, you didn't have the commercialization of the paranormal, which we do have now. Uh, but you just treated it as a normal part of life. If grandma was seen walking around the house after she was put in the graveyard, that's nice. She's your grandma. Don't worry about it. And Tony's right. I, I sometimes I just kind of yawn at these folks who say, oh, only this group and anybody who hasn't done this is only the ones uh, capable of interpreting this. Tell you something else. All these traditions were practiced uh, by people of race, all races and all creeds. Most of them, would, we would say, were Christians. But certainly yes. certainly down in the hoodoo part of South Carolina, they didn't care whether the person treating you for um, bleeding or a burn or something like that was black or white. You didn't care. Could they do it? That's what mattered. Could they get that booger out of your house? That's what mattered. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, I sometimes... When, when I hate to say this because I work in academia, but sometimes when scholars get a hold of stuff, it all becomes their property. And their interpretation is by, of course, the only one who's valid. Our ancestors nursed no such uh, feelings. Uh, if a root doctor saw something, I'll tell you this, I went into a root doctor's house outside Beaufort after Mr. McTeer had called and got my formal introduction. And there on his wall was a um, tree of life, which reflected the Kabbalah. And he was a nice gentleman. He was very helpful. He we was kind. We had a wonderful conversation. And finally, I said, well, how about that over there? What is that? He says, I don't know. He said, I kind of like it, don't you? I got it in a pack of stuff I ordered from New York. <laughs> and I go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they just took what they wanted, took yeah. what they needed. Yeah. None of the, I remember with Mr. McTeer, and I'm talking about James E. McTeer of Beaufort, South Carolina, who was a root doctor. Uh, we went back to his altar room, which was back behind his business office. He sold real estate at that time. And there was this altar room. And hopefully I'll have a picture of that with my PowerPoint. Uh, and he would treat clients there. And finally, one day I looked at the altar and I said, Mr. McTeer, what is all this? He looks at me and goes, props. He said, all this is designed to put people in a certain mental space because they have to be outside themselves for me to be able to help them. He understood it at a very deep level. Mm -hmm. He was an amazing guy. Um, and he did not suffer fools well. 
And he was a sheriff there, wasn't he? He was a former sheriff, yes. Mm -hmm. a, he was in his 70s when I met him. His grip was like iron. And wow. it, he, he, you wouldn't have wanted to cross this man. Uh, but, you know, Tony's right. It, you know, once, you, once money gets into it, once it becomes really money, 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 the whole thing goes out the door. But the real people remain. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've gone through, believe it or not, we've gone through several uh, occult phases. Back in Columbia, South Carolina at USC, it was in 70s, it was a hip thing to be a kahuna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so the, there were yeah. little were little kahunas running all over the campus um, yeah and that came through uh that came through uh borderland science research group out of it? la yeah they they had a they published the uh it was some guy that was out in hawaii and he was publishing the kahuna magic and it's interesting because it didn't end well for him so people, <laughs> people who, who brought that, that tradition uh you know into the the pop culture and that they didn't end well so that's, that's still a subject of conversation with folks that were involved in that publishing. Well, uh, you said something interesting, Jack. Uh, well, it was all interesting, but you said something that uh, caught my um, caught, caught my attention about uh, calling spirits boogers. And you guys especially are talking about like you're kind of like tying in with this presentation. I believe you're going to tie in some of the stuff about cryptids, too. And I know that like in Mississippi and Alabama and those areas, these guys that are like these serious Bigfoot hunters now, they call they call them boogers. Yeah. So I wonder if there's some kind of correlation there. Probably linguistically it, it relates that way. You know, it's just it's a booger is something that's out there and it's scary. Yeah. 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 Um, would you, you say that's true, Tony? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh you know it, and what's amazing is a lot of these these if we refer to them as magical beasts. Um, they 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 have a lot of commonalities um, geographically. You know we we're used to we we hear stories about uh, some of the the fairy folk that are kind of chaotic uh, in Appalachia, in in Mexico, uh, in a lot of uh, Latin American countries. The uh, concept of the duende. The, uh, the, the it's like a little dwarf uh, <laughs> is really popular. And I have a, a friend from Panama and she says, as a child, they would tell them, if you hear whistling in the woods, don't go into the woods because the duende is stealing children. Um, and we see what's, what's I find fascinating is that we see images of the duende show up in shrines to even some of, of the, you know, David, I, I know you probably can echo this. Some of the narco stuff out of Mexico where they're, they're uh, appropriating different religious cultures There's uh, as forms of protection. And we've got, a, 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 I remember seeing a, a, a crime scene photos from a scene where I had images of the Duende set up in his shrine. Uh, it's, it's part of his, his, uh, his his spiritual works there's and, a um, there's a there's actually a prayer to don diego duende in one of the santa muerta um grimoires wow yeah and that 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 caught me because i was looking through it and i was like wait 
prayer to the elf? Like, what, what is right. that? And, and it's interesting because they, uh, the prayer itself is to the, uh, the king of kings as Don Diego Duende, but in the sense of nature, right? So this, this thing that, that is literally the spirit of the forest. So exactly. it's, it's, you know, it's this, this sense of great power and the line that, that really, I, I love the line. It's, uh, you know, it's basically like cowards tremble. I walk with the elf, you know, is mm. the, the translation of it. And uh, yeah, it's the sense of, you know, the Duende, which, you know, once you get into the representations in the altars and stuff, it's like a, a pop culture picture of a dwarf or something. But yeah, sense of what it actually is, is this this entity that's basically the the Lord or the, you know, the patroness or the patron of the forest that is the spirit of nature. And that's all throughout South America. They have this tradition of this, um, you know, you go into the forest and you can be misled and you don't come back. You know, you, you end up. Um, it, it 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 all is mindful to me of um, one of the one of the great Africanists, uh, John Mbiti, um, talked about in one of his books about how in the African landscape you're going to always find these land spirits mm-hmm. that inhabit the rivers and the mountains and the forests, and we can see that from sub-Saharan Africa to Central Mexico to the Mississippi Delta, mm-hmm. these different uh, land spirits, and uh, in, in some cases they they are believed to work with human beings, and in other cases um, to to be the enemy of, of mankind. Either way, you have to treat them with respect. Yeah, all right. Yeah, <laughs> there's a I, when I met uh, Dennis William Hauk, who was the international president of the uh, the Alchemy Guild. Um, he had learned alchemy when he was in, uh, I believe he was in Prague or he was, he was in, it was maybe Prague, maybe Germany, but he was in that area. I think it was Germany because he went into the black forest to get his dirt, but um, he was there studying mathematics and he went down to the, at the university he was at, he went down to the archives and that and he saw these alchemical books and he became fascinated by it. He started looking into it. And when he was in Europe, he was able to actually meet folks who carried on a lineage of alchemical practice that went back at least to the 1700s. So um, when he got taken out to, you know, he, he met these people and they were showing him the, the practice they went out to places where they found large earthworms. And the the thing was, was that there was where the genius loci, the, the spirit of the place, was potent enough to get the dirt that they needed for their working. Wow. You know? And so there's this sense that, you know, even tra- stretches to stuff like hermeticism and, uh, you know, alchemy in that, where that, those place spirits and that spirit of place is super important, you know, and it's important to respect that. Because it's, you know, in, in the alchemical tradition, that's the prima materia that he was looking for, right? So it's literally the thing that makes reality, reality. It's that finding thing, you know? So, so those place spirits are, are incredibly important. And that's the, the kind of cross-cultural thing you guys are describing, you know? It stretches into Europe and it stretches into, you know, Russia. And you, you, know, you see it in uh, Southeast Asian practices and that. I've been looking a lot at uh, some of the... Uh, folk necromantic traditions in Southeast Asia. And it's amazing the crossovers 
for, for some of the stuff that they're doing when you look at conjure, you know, and you look at conjure practices that deal with spirits and deal with working with the dead, um, mm -hmm. it, a lot of carryover. So. Since me and Adam have been looking into this stuff and reading your guys' book, and I think just most the more, most striking misconception that you guys really help shatter and spreading folk magic does is that uh, we think in the popular conception of like, you know, oh, here's Christianity, here's magic or the occult. But you really, you guys point out how much of, uh, you know, alongside and within Christianity, all these traditions have existed. And that's something that really like, you know, is, is, it's a big, big shift that people really don't understand that you can understand by reading the old stuff. Well, when a, when a minister raises his hands in invocation, he's practicing magic. I don't care what you say. That's how you practice magic. When he lays hands upon people, that's practicing magic. Those traditions and those little rituals have survived mm -hmm. from ancient times. You know, that's, and they're even... In biblical texts, it's, um, I know the powwows draw this whole uh, biblical analogy, and I forgot the words, you know, the verse where it is. This says, if I can do this, so can you. If God can heal, then you can too. And so that's where they take their legitimacy for being able to channel that divine energy through themselves to a target uh, in need of healing. And, you know, the, one of the things that, initially uh, caught my eye and made me realize there was something more going on than just an anthropological study was seeing that it worked on small children and animals. Because I'd always thought, well, you have to believe this stuff. You got to believe this stuff to make it work. No, nope. no, nope, you don't. The animal has no ability to, uh, to believe, neither does a small baby that has the uh, thrush in their mouth, but still it works. Uh, it's, I had a, out, it's outside the power of belief. Something else is going on. And that, that's what, what, that's when I finally realized there's something really important here. And I cannot, uh, I'm never going to find it out if I don't step off and dive into this, this reality. I'm never going to see it. Because that's that's what you know, and you give up a certain level of, of uh, group acceptance when you do that. It's called going native, but you start to understand at a very different level when you do that. There is no, and there again, like anything that matters in life, there's no neutral ground. You're either in or you're not. You can't sit on the fence. And and to what you to what you're saying too, you know, when I moved to the south from Chicago, um, getting to know people, like that, as you guys have pointed out, this stuff is not when when you're living in the south and when you're living in cultures that have these traditions, this stuff isn't like you know this strange kind of like pop culture. People are wearing t-shirts and like waving a flag and that. You're just out having conversations, and folks are telling you about their uncle or their aunt or their grandmother or they themselves and you know and it comes up when it's needed yes. you know and and it really does have that sense of uh you know like you said it works on kids it works on animals we and it's always the same everyone you talk to when they actually touch the traditions they have the same experiences you know and so you you start to 
to see this happen. You know, it's it's this thing. It's a living thing that you're encountering. It's not this, you know, it's not in a book and it's not uh, on TV. It's not made up. You know, it's folks actually, you know, sharing their experiences where they were healed. You can see the healing happening, you know, and it's, it is really a, a complete change in paradigm, you know. But to the point that uh, we were making about uh, the, the Christian amalgamation of Christianity and to the uh, to folk magic, I mean, even in powwow tradition, Jack, I mean, like the um, it's the the books and texts are even like uh, couched in biblical terms. So I mean, like even a phrase like "long lost friend," you can kind of say that that's kind of a biblical. Like it's almost like a biblical term in and of itself, but then something as obvious as like, what is it? The, the sixth book of Moses. Yeah. Six, and seven then, book. Yeah. Six and seventh book of Moses. So like, you know, like saying that they are actually adding books to the Pentateuch essentially. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's how, that's how important they see it. And then uh, Tony in the hoodoo tradition, I mean, uh, you, in your book uh, about Memphis hoodoo and the hoodoo in the mid South, I mean, there's all kinds of ministers that, were uh, African American ministers that, but they also practice hoodoo as well. So it's like it's just the, it's not. There's no like the the line is very very fine between all this material. Yeah, you know it's um it becomes tempting, especially when we talk about um, African American based hoodoo, to talk of uh, during that time in history on on slave plantations where Africans were, were forced to practice Christian practices. It's mm-hmm. tempting to immediately uh, jump to, um, well, uh, they were incorporated or the syncretism took place um, basically because they wanted to hide practices. Well, that did happen, but there was also an element that I, I, I really got firsthand when, when I was in East Africa years ago and we, we entered this, this lady's hut, and on her wall, she had an image of Jesus, and then she also had a number of instruments used in a, a local African traditional religion. And I was speaking through my translator to her, and I, I, I basically tried to, to ask, um, I see you have a combination of, of two different elements, and essentially her answer was, um, whatever works. And so we, we, we see this um, among a lot of the traditions that it's, it's not always because um, like in traditions like Regla de Ocha and Santeria, uh, where Catholicism may be used as a costume for survival uh, during those, those periods of colonialism, but that also there may be elements that may be incorporated into these traditions. And so the, there may not be that line of, oh, yeah, we, we threw in some Christianity with this. No, um, this, this may be a strain of Christianity or a strain of folk tradition that happens to have elements of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, uh, Jack, you in your, in your book, you talk about, too, how there's this syncretism of those um, traditions between african-americans and european descended people between their different folk magics they also cross-pollinate of course they did yeah like i say whatever took care of the problem and i i think david made the idea that it was it was a seamless transition 
you didn't worry that this this uh, ritual came from the old African-American gentleman down the street. You didn't worry about that. It took the burn away. It took the it made your your uh, your work fall off. Yeah. Who cares? You know, this is I, I think if you allow it is where uh, folk tradition is is a universal kind of experience. Um, throughout the world. And I think David talked about that in Southeast Asia. I would think if you got around a shaman in that part of the world, if you stayed around them long enough and they were willing to open up to you, you would, you would see some of the same kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You would see the same kinds of rituals and especially with the paranormal, mm -hmm. you know, this, these were not only this, the root doctor, the powwow, uh, all these people were interpreters. And so they're falling right into the whole idea of the, um, the old shaman. And that's why I use the term shaman. I didn't, weren't saying that, that these people were shamans in the academic definition of the word, but they acted in many ways in shamanic ways. They went into trance. Like when Lee would go hunt somebody uh, who was missing, he went into deep trance and you sat with him because you had to protect him. If he's because he was vulnerable to spirit attack during that, in that trance. And there were things you were to do if he started to show distress. So, um, but I would, I imagine that spirit traveling by shamans, that was as shamanic as it comes. So we have a, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Jack. You could usually find the person. Sometimes they weren't in the places where that made their relatives happy. <laughs> the one it's, I it's, it's, it's analogous but, to, like a, to like an OBE, an out-of-body experience, essentially. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, that was or, something I found interesting about McTeer. And I know you, you want to get to the question, but I just wanted to bring this up uh, because you had your, you actually knew McTeer. Um he in his books talks about J.B. Ryan's work, mm -hmm. you know, and so he actually he was familiar, very familiar with what was going on in parapsychology at the time. He was, and, and I found that uh, it, it was amazing to see that because it wasn't, you know, again with the naturalness of this stuff. He's just in this this element. He has these experiences, and he's like, oh, who? What other experts are there out there? He's talking about psychologists that are working, you know, in. Um, in clinical studies and he's talking about jb ryan and his you know the parapsychology yeah. stuff that's happening at the ryan institute and he was fully versed in in all of it you know he was. It, because it worked you know and he was exploring this experience that he was having and this this knowledge that he had to access these states you know it was interesting both he and lee yandy in the different tradition were a little bit atypical mm -hmm. and that's that they were both highly educated men Lee had been a uh, university professor at one time at Lenore Ryan College and a history teacher in high school. Uh, most of your rural root doctors and powwows probably didn't have a lot of academic education. They could read, they could write. Uh, generally, that, that was a universal, but beyond that, they were not at the, the level of these two gentlemen. Did they feel like they had to unlearn things? 
No, because they were raised in it. Okay. It, it came natural as breathing. Uh, McTeer once said that he learned his from African-Americans on the uh, place where he grew up, on the property where he grew up. Uh, there probably are still some some of those old fellows down there. and They were ladies, too. That's another thing. Gender didn't have a thing to do with it. I know Tony talks about this wonderful lady, Miss Jessie. Uh, <laughs> I still laugh every time I think about her uh, her cure for uh, constipation. You know yeah. what, I'm, remember what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, Miss Jessie was a... Uh, Miss Jessie was a root worker uh, from rural West Tennessee and um, just just a, an amazing, amazing woman. But she um, <laughs> she advised me one day of the naturalness of one of her remedies. And that is that someone came to her uh, that was constipated and she advised that they take uh, some poke root, some turpentine. And uh, I believe some some tobacco. Uh, yeah, snuff. And, and uh, yeah, and snuff. Yeah, and uh, take it and mix it and and manually place it uh, uh, in a certain region of the body. And she, she advised me soon after that that, in her words, they were going all over my yard. <laughs> Again, very natural. Not. Uh, not picking up a lot of pop artifacts from Hot Topic or, or you know, <laughs> a lot of materials like that. Uh, so we have, so we do have a question here from Aaron O'Brien, who we were just on his show the other night, sent the Holics podcast, talking about Star Trek and Dune. Uh, he's asking, seeing the cultural impact of magic occult, do you guys see things all the time? And know that meaning or origins, and know their meanings, meaning our origins, and think this is from such and such, and then think there is too much to explain <laughs> to a friend or family member with you at that time. Oh, I don't deal with it in family. My <laughs> wife, my wife knows about it, but I wouldn't bring this up for for love nor money. I I'll share one little story. I promise it won't take long. Uh, Thanksgiving, 1975, I was fully immersed in Lee Gandy's tutelage. And I went to Thanksgiving dinner and some persons asked me what I was doing and I spilled the beans and they all started to laugh and make fun. And I looked over at my little German grandmother who was busy eating, didn't even look up and I looked at her and I said, do you know what I mean? grandmother she looks up at me and goes <laughs> and went right back in. and <laughs> I, I didn't hear a thing else i thought holy crap uh-huh she knows what i'm talking about well i went over i always did her yard took care of her yard so i went over there and did the yard and we sat down for our pie and coffee and i said you winked at me over that she says yes she said your, my father, your great-grandfather was a powwow mm -hmm. in Western North Carolina. He couldn't do anything for humans, but he was renowned for being able to heal animals. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had, I said, I've never heard of this. She said, you had no need to know. Wow. 
and that's that's but there it was there it was in the family mm -hmm. and i had never heard of it before that moment uh, i think when you when you start to open the doors if you're honest with yourself if you're if you're um, authentic with yourself the doors of all kinds of things will open up to you it's like the world falls into uh into line and all of a sudden you hear from the people you need to hear from uh, you start to encounter people and you know you're not encountering them for uh, as as a, as a happen chance would you say that's true both david and tony is no. something something changes in the course of your life mm -hmm. and and you you all of a sudden the people that you uh I met a lady last night. I, I gave a talk in, through Zoom in Australia. These awfully nice people contacted me. And I just I was talking last night with this uh, lady who's one of the uh, elders. And my God, this person knew everybody uh, down from Dr. Santee to uh, she knew all the great occultists. She had a 50,000 volume occult library and i thought there is no accident that i just met this woman and we're having this conversation so the whole idea that synchronicities yeah it's just part of that flow that you get into i mean i i it, it, if you've got a different experience please you know but i, I think i see a david nodding I, and yeah. i think tony would agree there's just something takes place in your life and things start to change, but you've got to be brutally honest with yourself and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, well, and you know, I walked out the back of when I moved down here uh, and and stayed. Um, I walked out my back door into the alley, and I met a fellow named Preston, whose father was a traditional healer. And we got, where, where is this, David? This was in Monroe, Georgia. Okay. Uh, father was uh, a healer outside of in kind of like the Atlanta area, but in the sixties and fifties. Um, and, you know, I was just, I was out walking to my car and he's walking, he was a cook at the restaurant and we started talking and, um, you know, he asked me what I did and I had just moved from Chicago and I was like, I don't know if I want to tell anyone what I write about, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to discuss this in the South. Like, cause my brother's a, uh, my brother was a minister for a while. My other brother uh, lived with Mennonite in the Mennonite community. So I was used to just not, you know, just don't bring it up. And uh, so I told him, I, I wrote about weird things and I kind of gave him the soft sell, like, oh, well, you know, like, uh, like the shows about ghost hunting and stuff like that, you know, like really just underplaying all of it. And he looked at me and he goes, well, you know, a lot of people say they don't believe in this, but I believe in God. I can't see God. So if I don't believe in this, then, you know, I, I don't believe in God. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, so we started talking about ghosts and then he starts telling me about his dad. And, you know, I, it was an amazing life-changing experience for me to, uh, to hear this. It was just this opening experience. I mean, I've had experiences since I was a kid, but like, um, you know, it's just those people and that's kind of the being aware of it. You know, it's, you may know something be kind of tucked in the back of your head but these people that you encounter in this they open it up more and it's the continuing of, of different stuff you know i mean with with both of uh you know jack your your book and and your relationship with sheriff mcteer and tony you know i encountered uh Tony's work. it was the the santa Muerta book that you had put out 
um, which was one of the only books outside of Andrew Chestnut's books that was out there, you know, and then um, being able to, you know, to communicate and to, to kind of share information in that, um, it's been amazing. And then I think that, you know, the, this kind of thing, I think, is, is an example of that, just these, you know, different paths kind of opening up to that. Yeah. Let's talk. Oh, go ahead, Jack. No, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm done. Well, I was just going to say, let's let's talk a little bit before, because in the time that we got left, just about uh, each part of your presentation, how you guys have kind of divvied this up. And so who's doing part one? I think, is that, is that you, Tony? I think. Tony. Yeah. 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 Um, we're going to, we're going to open up looking at different folk traditions. Um, we're going to look at different traditions and how they encounter the paranormal. Um, we'll look at, um, uh, I'm going to take a look at African-American hoodoo, uh, also um, primarily uh, Mexican curanderismo, um, and then uh, some of the uh, Afro-Cuban traditions. And then, then we will pass it over to Jack. And uh, Jack, you you have your share of I, I'm going to touch on hoodoo because Tony does mid-south and I sort of do the east coast the whole uh coastal area of South Carolina the hoodoo that's practiced there uh, and I I'm, I'm going to probably touch on a little bit with the powwow but I'm going to be primarily focused on the southeastern expressions found in hoodoo because they are very rich in supernatural elements that's where you get your plat eyes and your boo hags and your all the different kind of entities that live out there in those marshes uh, and amongst that Spanish moss. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> you probably have plenty of that in Georgia too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But I, uh, a property that I just lived at, um, it was 200 years old and a guy had a, a place out on the coast and he would bring the moss back to hang in his trees. So you know, we had, we had imported uh, Spanish moss. My mother used to do that stuff. We'd have that stuff hanging in the trees, <laughs> Spanish moss on pine trees. Now, come yeah, on. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bugs in it too. So like, oh, God, you know, yeah. underneath it and you get like chiggers and stuff and it's like, <laughs> Keep it, keep it where it belongs. David, was there any uh, was there any question that uh, that you might have for these gentlemen? Uh, I don't know. I was I'm, I thank you for bringing me in on this and being able to to join the conversation. I I love both of their works. I, I hope that everybody who's listening to this and everybody who sees the uh, things that they have a chance to to get your books because they're it's amazing what you guys have done to to bring forward the actual traditions to have the conversations to bring this stuff out into a time period now where as you you both pointed out it's so commercialized and it's there's a there's a, a layer of falsity to it that um you know folks don't always get to that root of of what people are actually doing and what you know these practices that these you know these people don't they don't publish themselves they're not they're not necessarily out there you know they're just living their lives in a community and they're providing a community service and you know you guys have have gone out and and sought this out and I, i'm so thankful for that and thankful that you guys have you know had a, the opportunity to write your books and thank you 
to do things like this. Yeah. I, I tell you this, Tony had an insight the other night that just kind of, it's one of those things like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's that most of our conceptions of the paranormal that we are working with today in the greater society are, are rooted in, in the perceptions that were part of American folk tradition. The whole concepts of ghosts and how they, how they interact with uh, this dimension. Uh, it, Tony could probably say it better. Well, that's it, it, and Jack pretty much nailed it on that. That's, um, you know, when we look at what we consider paranormal activity today and, and kind of going to our whole thesis of, of this program, um, we can find many, uh, many different cultural observations through the years among folk cultures and recognizing spirits and ghosts and recognizing hauntings and recognizing, um, you know, these, these magical beasts. Um, and so when we draw it back, we see that they do come from authentic traditions. Um, but we sort of see it through our Western popular culture lens now. Mm -hmm. and so it's, it's fascinating to see, you know, uh, a wood cutting featuring someone dealing uh, with a spirit and uh, contrast that with, you know, watching a, a TV show where someone is, is called in to, to do some sort of deliverance from a spirit or, or something of that nature. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to these presentations. Um, this is going to be really fascinating and it really brings something to the, the, uh, the uh, uh, just spread of other ideas that we're exploring at the conference. I think it really adds something. I really want to thank you guys. It really looks like a, a first-rate conference all the way down the line. And thank I, you, I, I applaud you for the work you've done. Thank you very much. Thank you. We've been putting we've been putting, <laughs> putting the time in on it for sure. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, the uh, so the time that you guys are speaking is on Saturday, and actually, all three of you, you gentlemen, are speaking on Saturday. Uh, Tony, you are at five twenty to six twenty. That's Eastern time, so four twenty to five twenty Central, because I know you all. You got well, you you Sir Fiel Jack are all on Central. And uh, Jack, you are 6.30 to 7.30 Eastern time, so 5.30 to 6.30 Central. So that's what we have. We have you guys back to back. And David is uh, 125 to 225 Eastern time. And he's on Eastern time, so I don't need to make the conversion for him. But uh, well, Wait a minute. Yeah, I'm 6.30 to 7.30 on Central yeah, time? Uh, yeah, 6.30 to 7.30 Eastern, so it would be 5.30 to 6.30 central okay got it yeah. yeah we're just sending everything to eastern time because we've got people watching this from all over the world pretty much so just kind of like trying to, to tailor it to the east coast time uh, but uh gentlemen please let us tell us uh where people can contact you um where they can find your books all that all that good stuff before we let before we we end this section Tony, you want to go uh, first? You can find uh, you can find me on Twitter at Memphis Hoodoo, and on Facebook at uh, Memphis Hoodoo as well. And uh, my books are available through History Press and uh, through Amazon and most major book outlets. 
Okay. As, as for me, you can find American Shamans Journeys with Traditional Healers. Uh, it's all over the place. There are a lot of people who have copies of it. I even have some myself that I'll sell to you direct and, and autograph it for you. Uh, my publisher went out of business. So I, I grabbed the last of the stock and I have a, about 40 left uh, of that book. But Tony and I are, are working on a, uh, a new book that uh, it'll be reflected in what we talk about at this conference. But we're working mm -hmm. on a book called Wellen. Manuscript is due in December and we'll see how far we get with that. <laughs> and uh, David, go ahead and plug your stuff. Uh, yeah, davidmetcalf.wordpress.com is my blog, and uh, David B. Metcalf on Twitter. Um, I'm kind of all over the place, so, you know, um, I haven't plugged my music. You can go to the-message.bandcamp.com for uh, my ambient works, if you're so, so inclined. Where can, I see, where can I listen to your music, Bandcamp? Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link, Jack, so so you can. Um, okay, that's cool. I'll, I'll also send you. Uh, I'll send you the Tony. I don't know. Have you read the Preston the Preston conversation? No. Yeah. Okay, I'll send. I'll send that to you guys. Okay. Thank you. Okay, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Uh, stay with us, though. I'm just going to end the stream. And uh, we will be back with Dr. Future, Recluse, Ren Collier, and David is going to stay with us. And uh, we'll be back, guys, in just about less than probably 30 minutes. See you then. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.